Are you ready? Ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. Because the show is about to begin. From the front lines of America, Babylon, and transmitting worldwide on the internet and satellite, you are listening to Omega Man Radio Network with Shannon Davis. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, and welcome to episode 592. This is another edition of Omega Man Radio. Tonight, it's going to be my honor, special privilege, to bring on Henry Groover. We're fixing to dial him up, patch him in live. He's going to be talking about how to prayer walk, how to remit sin, how to pull down strongholds in Jesus Christ's name. I knew there was a missing piece to this puzzle of deliverance. We've learned how to cast out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. Satan's foot soldiers on the ground. They're in every single one of us until they get cast out in the name of Jesus. And it's an ongoing battle. Many of us are carrying around luggage that uh, we inherited from birth. Came in through the birth canal even. It's true. Some babies are born with allegiance. It's sad, but I'm just telling you like it is. Just the facts, ma'am. But you know what? You can be set free in the name of Jesus, of these demonic spirits. Okay, that's one facet. Well, do you know that there's a hierarchy in Satan's command? He's set up just like a a military, many people believe, generals, colonels, majors, captains, lieutenants, all the way down to the foot soldier, to the grunt, the grunt demon. It's true, my friends. And, uh, you know, Satan has a very sophisticated command and control structure. He has his principalities, powers of the air, rulers of darkness in high places. You have the prince of Persia, which withstood Daniel several weeks from getting the reply back that the Lord had sent via messenger angel. What was it? The archangel Michael had to come down and fight the prince of Persia. Am I recalling that correctly? Well, you've got these strongholds in high places, these demonic, wicked spirits that work up in the heavenlies also. I've always said, I want to get one of the big fish. You're trying to bust down a uh, drug ring? Well, it's easy to grab the guy in the corner. 
that's selling the drugs, but who's this supplier? Who's this supplier? You want to get all the way up to the manufacturer in Colombia or Mexico, wherever the drugs are making being made. If you're going to do a death blow to the network, shut them down, don't you? So I'd heard about this man, Henry Groover. I'd heard some of his testimonies about how God would send him into places around the world, and he would be given favor to walk in with a divine appointment and speak to an executive that you don't just get an appointment with if it were not for God. Or he would get an opportunity to go into a place where they had sacrificed children, where the samurais had a castle, and he would be going down and he could hear the screams. God would allow him to hear the screams of the children that were sacrificed after they were sodomized. They were thrown up in the air, and the blink of an eye, the samurai would pull the sword out and chop, chop them in half, and the, the bodies, one part there, one part there, would just hurl down into the ocean right over the, the cliff where this one castle was. He can tell you the stories. He'll just keep you just on the edge of your seat for hours. I love hearing his stories. It's like going on a Indiana Jones crusade. You never know where you're going to go. The two-step adder stories, on and on we can go. I mean, places that people would not even step because it was so saturated with the two-step adder that if they got bit, they would be instantly dead. And God told them to go up there, and they had a, a high place, an altar. And those sins caused that area to be under a curse. Someone had to break it. Someone had to remit the sin. We played many of his programs here. I thought, Lord, if you can just... Give us favor and get Brother Henry Groover on so we can learn how to do it. Because, folks, I believe that's the missing piece of the puzzle. I believe you've got the warfare with the ground troops. You've got to learn about prayer walking and remitting sins and pulling down strongholds in the heavenlies. You've got the healing ministry, which we cannot uh, neglect either. Jesus preached the gospel, healed the sick, cast out devils. Miracles, of course. I think the other part is schizophrenia revelation. I believe that's one of the most powerful uh, demons we're going to come across in this age where there's raging insanity everywhere. And that was a revelation to Frank and I to may happen. I believe if you put all this stuff together, you've got the whole enchilada, if I might call it that. So we are tonight, as we speak, going to endeavor to learn how to pull down strongholds, remit sins, and do some spiritual warfare where some angels don't even dare to tread. But you and I, as believers, with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been placed high in heavenly places, high above angels even, high up with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been given authority to tread on serpents, scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. That's important, over all the power. Some will say you can't go against principalities and powers. Well, they're not reading what it says in the Word of God, over all the power of the enemy. Now, God chooses... How far is going to let us go? Some things are foreordained to happen, but we've got a lot of leeway there to deal a death blow to the enemy, and the Lord wants us to do that. Amen? We need to fight. Attack, attack, attack. That's God's marching order, as one worldly said. Okay, well, before I uh, waste too much more time, I'm going to call Brother Henry Groover right now. He's waiting. Stand by. Website, henrygroover.com. If you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you. We do nightly broadcast and daily broadcast, 3 p.m., 8 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, 
Saturday, 6 to 10. Okay, stand by. Let's see. Punch that number in again. Okay. Okay, I think we're dialing. Hmm, that's not good. Did I transpose a number? Let me look again. Okay, let me call Henry on the cell phone. Stand by. This is a live broadcast in motion. Hold on a moment, please. We are live. Okay, praise the Lord. I want to give you the number. Um, Brother Henry, in fact, why don't you do this? Uh, Call my toll-free number. How about that? Let's call 877-280-9687. Let me repeat, 877-280-9687. Now, it's going to prompt you, and what you do is when you make the connection, hit option one, and I'll see you pop up, and I'll bring you right on the air. Uh, Anytime... You want. We've got up to four hours, or you can go as uh, short a period of time as you want. <laughs> when I put it like this, when the Holy Spirit tells you to stop, that's okay by me. We can't argue with the Holy Spirit, can we? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, I'm standing by for you. Thank you, sir. Okay, praise God. Okay, folks, stand by. We are live. Uh, I dialed the correct number, but what happened is uh, something was blocking it. Go figure. We just bind the forces of Satan out there right now, which would seek to disrupt this program. In the name of Jesus, we ask, Father God, that you give us favor tonight. We cover this whole connection. Everybody tuning in with the blood of Jesus, wherever they may be around the world, tuning in tonight. And uh, once again, folks, we're about to receive the call from Henry Groover. His website, henrygroover.com. Stand by. I see Brother Groover on. We're going to get the show started. Brother Groover, welcome to the program tonight. How are you, sir? Well, I'm fine, Brother Shannon. Thank you. Brother Groover, you sound like you're next door. Perfect connection tonight. Oh, that, that's what I wanted to hear. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> Praise God. Well, Brother Groover, before we get started, uh, there's nothing like opening up in prayer. Would you honor us and open with prayer tonight? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Precious Father in heaven, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we just declare the power of the shed blood, the body, the mind, and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ over this program, over where every place this is transmitted to, every receiver, Lord Jesus, that you will be with us now, that every word will bring honor and glory to your name, that we will be able to bring honor to you, Lord, in what is said and as well as what is thought and received by each person. Father, you know what needs to be spoken into the hearts of the people to help them in their mind and in their spirit. And so, Lamb of God, we just ask for that sweet and precious presence of your anointing and your peace to flow like a wonderful flowing stream into each of our hearts and minds, and that we will bring honor and glory to you tonight in everything that we think, say, or do. And we commit this time to you now with thanksgiving in our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 
Amen. And folks, I want to welcome Brother Henry Groover to Omega Man Radio tonight. This broadcast is live. It's going around the world. And Brother Groover, I gave a little bit of an introduction before I dialed you on. Really, you need no introduction to Omega Man Radio because we have uh, anxiously awaited uh, an opportunity to have you on live. And then until tonight came along, we uh, have played a number of the audios we could find out there on the Internet. And I'll tell you, as I mentioned before, listening to the awesome adventures the Lord has taken you on, it's like going on a trip with Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> there's one thing that I've learned, Shannon, if it's... If, if it's uh, one thing that's important is don't limit the Holy One of Israel. Amen? Amen. Don't uh, limit Him. And then, I'll tell you what, what we experience then becomes limitless. And uh, we can trust Him no matter what. And uh, if we'll keep our eyes on the Lord and our trust in our hearts before Him, there's no weapon that can form against us that will prosper, and every tongue that raises up against us in judgment, he will condemn, and that's the beauty of it. And so we don't even need to defend ourselves, do we? <laughs> no, sir. If we're we, Jesus Christ uh, is for us, who can be against us? That's right. That's right. We have the we have the God of the universe, and that's the exciting thing. Amen. It is, and uh, Brother Groover. Omega Man Radio has been going about 18 months. Uh, tonight, folks, actually, just to give you a, a point of reference, is episode 592. And, Brother Groover, the mission of Omega Man Radio is to preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark 16 ministry. Preach the gospel, cast out demons in Jesus' name, pray for the sick that they may be healed. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I was telling the folks out there, what an honor it's going to be to have Brother Groover on tonight, because, Brother Groover, I believe that you have the missing link to the uh, to the ministry. Uh, tonight, uh, you're going to be sharing a little bit about, uh, and that is attacking the host of hell and the principalities, the powers and the heavenlies, pulling down strongholds, remitting sins. Now, we're, we're very well here on this program aware of um, the deliverance ministry, you know, one-on-one cast an unclean spirits out in Jesus' name. But I told the folks, I said, you know, Satan has a command and control structure, which is probably very similar to a military, you know. He has his uh, generals, his colonels, all the way down to the foot soldiers. And, you know, it would be nice to be able to go after one of those big fish up there. <laughs> and I said, uh, if there's anybody doing it, it's going to be Henry Groover, because you have literally had the favor of the Lord, Brother Groover, to go into places that a, a person would not be able to get into if God didn't open that door. Am I telling the truth? You're telling the truth. I've, I have stood in awe and been in awe for days after I have seen things and places the Lord has brought me into. And uh, I have to be the first to say it's not Henry Groover that did it. It's definitely the Lord, as I've just uh, learned, really, the basic principles that I, uh, I'll share with you all on tonight. Uh, if you will learn those principles and walk them and be consistent in them, I guarantee you, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible to you. And uh, that that's the exciting thing about prayer walking. Yes, it is. Uh, we've heard some of the stories of how uh, you've been to Japan, where they had the deadly, I guess it was called the Two-Step Adder? The Habu, yeah. The, yeah, Two-Step Adder Island. 
Oh, places, you heard that, huh? Places well, so infested that uh, one bite from this deadly uh, viper and uh, you would be dead. Is that correct? It attacks your uh, your nervous system and it paralyzes you. Wow. You're down. You drop, and then of course it attacks your respiratory system. And what happens once your heart your your lungs stop pumping? Your heart gets no no oxygen in it, and you're done for. Now, a place um, that even the locals feared to tread, and the Lord told you to not only go there, but what climb this mountain and yes. uh, go there and pull down a stronghold. Am I telling the story right? That's right. That's right. And my poor interpreter turned white as pale as a ghost and said, "No way. No, no, Henry. <laughs> you will die there." <laughs> You've been to. You've been to other places where you actually got to go into the quote unquote holy of holies of a Shinto temple. Is that right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. But, uh, the Lord was very good to me. Uh, he protected me and opened the doors for me. And uh, we went right in and uh, stood right upon their altar, proclaiming north, south, east, and west. The blood, the body, the mind, and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, and let it be made known anyone coming into here from this time forth to commit any oath, covenant, curse, fetish, agreement to the unfruitful works of darkness will come face to face with the power of the shed blood, the body, the mind, and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will have no alternative but to fall down and repent of your wickedness or turn and flee and never come back here for this purpose again. And, uh, uh, of course, I've uh, also heard the story of how the Dalai Lama came to America, and he was literally going down to water bodies across the country, cursing them, and the Lord would have you right on his heels to break those (laughs) curses. Is that true? (laughs) Totally unknown to me. Uh, I didn't know because I had scheduled my journey for that summer from literally from Washington State and the Columbia River down by the uh, Grand Coulee Dam. Uh, all the way across to the Hudson River. And uh, every major river across the United States, my summer schedule that summer was literally following the Dalai Lama within two, three days of doing the sand mantras and the dedicating of the waters to the water gods. Yeah. I said all that to say this, folks, that uh, Brother Groover has been sent on special assignment. If there was a uh, a James Bond uh, of the Christian community, his brother Groover, uh, he has been everywhere that the Lord has sent him, had the favor of God to go down on special assignments and attack the host of hell in a, uh, a very uh, unique way here. And you know, Brother Groover, as I heard these testimonies, I said, please, I've got to find out uh, how do you do this? What actually happened there? What's the mechanics of uh, pulling down strongholds, remitting sins, spiritual warfare, and then how how do you survive the backlash? So, folks, with that introduction, I'm going to shut up because I'm here to learn tonight, as you are. And at this time, let me give the microphone to you, Brother Groover. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you on tonight. Well, bless you, Brother. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll just take it over, and, and we'll see what the Lord will say. I I hope to share and to answer some questions, you know, Uh uh, that people have had about prayer walking. It's It's been an interesting journey. I began in uh, December of 1960, New Year's Eve. I was attending uh, college to 
go for my my emphasis on my life was engineering, electronics engineering. I had no design or no desire on uh, being a minister, uh, prayer walker, or anything like that. I, I was raised in a very Christian family, and uh, good, godly family. And uh, my dear mother, I'll tell you, was a prayer warrior. She's a, she was a saint, and I know she's in heaven. And I can call her a saint now. She's in heaven, but. Uh, <laughs> she was a saint on the earth, in my opinion. Uh, just to help you to understand a little bit about the heritage that I have, of which I feel greatly responsible to. There were uh, six of us boys in our family and one daughter, or one sister. And uh, mother would never get off of her knees. Dad seemed uh, to uh, not feel any real great emphasis on uh pressuring us boys as to what time we came in at night and uh, not like me in raising my seven sons but uh, I tried to keep it a certain hour that they were come in because I always told them nothing goes on any good after 10 o'clock at night but uh, anyhow uh, dad didn't do that and so therefore uh, my brothers I was the next to the youngest of these six boys and so uh I learned a lot by listening to my mother as I grew up, how she prayed. And I can remember hearing her prayers, and I knew what my brothers were into. I knew the trouble they were into, the danger and all, by the intensity of her prayers. So I was introduced to prayer from, as far as I'm concerned, from my birth up. And uh, we moved from Livingston, Montana, uh, when I was born, uh, two years later, uh, in 1944, we moved down during the war into Phoenix, Arizona, and that's where I grew up. And uh, then out in North Phoenix in Paradise Valley, and uh, graduated from the high school out there in Paradise Valley. And but uh, in those years, I can remember so well my mother praying when my brothers were still out doing whatever they wanted to do. And uh, just to help you to understand a little bit about my, my foundation and my, my life, uh, Mother would never get off her knees in prayer till the last one of us boys were in. So that, that really impressed me by the time I was old enough, had my own car. That really impressed me not to be too rough on my mother not to keep her up too late because dad was a carpenter and there in Arizona at 4.30 in the morning that alarm would ring and mother would be up fixing his breakfast and his lunch to go to work and uh, so I knew if my brothers were in till 12, 1, 2 in the morning mother hadn't had a, if they didn't get in till 2 mother didn't get the 2, 2 and a half hours of rest I don't know how she did it those years, but she did, bless her heart, and I know she has reward for it. But it, it, it established in me a great sensitivity to, uh, uh, to consider what she had been through and the sufferings that she had experienced and the price she had paid. And I think that's very important in understanding the basis of, of my early life and my upbringing. But uh, being in college and uh, working my way through, because by that time of 1960, December, 
dad's health wasn't very good, and so he said, son, I, I just can't afford to support you in college. So I had to work my way through, which was fine. But um, in doing that, I came to the place that I realized I was having to either have classes or work that kept me away from church except Sunday morning, Sunday night. And I only had one night off then, Saturday night, other than my work and all. And and so on December of, of that year, of New Year's Eve of 1960, I made a vow to the Lord and that I would give up my Saturday nights and that I would go on the streets and hand out a hundred gospel tracts, and I would not leave the streets until I had personally handed out that one hundred. I had never handed a track out before in my life, and people, I want to tell you something, that that was an eye-opener to me, because by the time I got on the streets after 7 o'clock on uh, Saturday nights, because I worked up till about 5, 5.30 on Saturday, got home, got cleaned up, and headed for the streets with my hundred tracks. I had forgotten a major, major thing. I had forgotten about the Sabbath laws that we had back then in 1961. And so the first Saturday night of 1961, little after seven, I hit the streets in my car, my 49 Oldsmobile. I drove up on the streets, and I thought, oh, oh, I think I've made a terrible mistake because the streets were empty. The the laws back in those days, now think about this, has America changed with what we called the Sabbath laws. And if you didn't have gasoline or milk or bread, forget it till Monday morning. Or borrow it from the neighbors was what you had to do. In those days, a lot of people borrowed from the neighbors. I can remember very commonly somebody coming knocking on the door, one of the children, and say, Mama's in the middle of baking a, a cake and she doesn't have any eggs. Could you share a couple of eggs or could <laughs> yes. a glass of milk, you know? And uh, <laughs> uh, I had forgotten about that. The only thing that was allowed to be opened was bars and nightclubs and picture shows, and they had to be closed by 12 o'clock. And then the bars had to start serving serving coffee until 2 in the morning to sober them up and get them on the road where they wouldn't get killed or kill somebody else. And so when I hit the streets of Phoenix, Arizona, there wasn't anybody on the streets. And I thought, oh, my word, how am I ever going to get deliver 100 gospel tracts? Just to cut this part short, I, I, a man come out of a store when I was walking the street heading for the bus station, and I took off running toward him to hand out a track. He's the first person I saw. He ran and jumped into his car, rolled up his window, started the car, and took off. And I couldn't even get the first track handed out. I thought, well, there's got to be buses coming in. I'll go hand them out at the bus station. No, the last bus had come in at 5.15. So the only person in that, that bus station was a man counting the tickets or whatever, doing a little paperwork. And I tried to hand him a track, and he just says, no, sir, he says, and don't be leaving those lay around. We sweep them up all the time. So I failed on my first account, second account, and now I thought maybe there'll be the train station. Trains seem to always be running. So I ran over and got in the car and headed for the train station, 
and the only person I saw in the train station. The last train had come in at 6.30, and there wasn't anybody but the janitor sweeping the floors of the station. I tried to give him a track, and he says, no, thank you. He says, young man, he says, I'm already a Christian. I, I don't need that. Take and give it to somebody else. But please, he said, don't leave any laying around. He says, I sweep them up all the time. And he says, I can't throw them away. I've got so many of them at home, I'll never get them all handed out. So that was my third attempt that failed. I went out of that train station along that railroad track heading for my car and crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, I am in trouble. And as I was walking toward my car, I heard music coming down the down the railroad track, and I walked back over, looked down the track, or up the track, actually, and uh, there were lights down there, and there seemed to be a lot of people, and I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what it was. I'd never been in that part of town. And so I ran and jumped into my 49 Oldsmobile and headed down there and found out it was a place where all these nightclubs and bars were. And I thought, oh boy, what am I going to do? If Jesus comes and I'm there handing out tracts, I'll be left behind for sure. Because I was always brought up that you don't, uh, you don't mix with people like that, because if you mix with them and Jesus comes back, you're going to be left behind. So I had a tough decision to make, and I remember taking a dead run, heading into there a couple of times, trying to hand out tracks and run back out. Because in those days, we believed Jesus could come at any minute. And uh, I thought, boy, this isn't working. And uh, so that night, I actually got three tracks handed out. So that left me for the, the next week, next Saturday night, 197 tracks to hand out. And I thought, dear Lord, this is not working. <laughs> and But by then, I had come to a real peace that next Sunday morning in church about going into that part of town because I had read in the Bible by then that Jesus was called a friend of publicans and a glutton and a wine-bibber. And so I just praised the Lord and uh, thanked Him for His faithfulness and I'm going in there. We're not going to answer that. Sorry, that's at my phone ringing, but we're not going to take it. <laughs> it's quite all right. But um, And then the, the pastor preached on it, you know, and uh, how Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners. So I felt like I was fully armed and ready to go forth the next Saturday night, and I went into that area with confidence. But I still was not getting any tracts handed out. And this is where my prayer walking journey began. I couldn't get people interested enough to take a track. And I cried out to the Lord that night. And I said, Lord, this is not working. I've made a vow to you that I cannot keep. And Almighty God, I don't know what to do. And that night, the Lord spoke to me so clear. I can't say audibly. He spoke to my spirit. But when he speaks to me like that, it doesn't have to be audible, let me tell you. And here's what he said to me. He said, I will give you peace. He said, start walking. That's the first time in my life that I can recall the Lord ever told me to walk. Start walking. I'll give you peace, and I'll give you a song. If at any time you lose the peace 
or the song, go back and find it. Never go beyond peace. Never go beyond peace. And so I thought, oh, that's easy. That's easy. Anybody could do that. But let me tell you, the Lord allowed me to go through a test that night, teaching me one of the most valuable lessons I've ever learned in my life and something that I still practice 51 years later to this day. January, first Saturday in January this year was my 51st year prayer walking the earth. Praise the Lord. Countries, 48 foreign countries, walking streets of cities. I've walked every street of many, many cities in Europe, Middle Eastern Europe, Western Europe, many different areas of the Middle East, Asia, up in the Arctic. And uh, so I've, I've been able to walk with many different cultures of people. But in that lesson that night of what he spoke to me, I'll tell you what, it was a difficult test for my mind. It really, really tormented my poor mind. I'll tell you why. I began walking, and as I would walk toward people, all of a sudden I would lose peace. And as I would turn around and go back to try to find what direction, I found up, found out, I finally wound up walking one square block, not handing out one track. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. My mind was in a turmoil. And I think this is something that is so important for you to to consider in in your learning to prayer walk, in your learning to commune with the Lord. Now, I want you to think about it this way. Where did we first begin to conform to Romans chapter 8, verse 6? For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I'm reading to you out of the uh, King James translation. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Where did all that begin? What was the beginning of that? Wasn't it in the garden? When Adam and Eve began their, their, their trial? What, how did it become death with Adam and Eve? I want you to think about those principles tonight because I hope to cover them. I hope to cover that and to teach you an understanding of what it is to walk in the peace of God. The importance of entering that discipline every single day of your life. Learning to walk in the peace of God, learning to hear His voice. What did Adam and Eve do when they heard the voice of God walking in the garden? They ran and hid themselves, didn't they? Why did they run and hide? Because they were naked. And remember what the Lord said to them. Who told you you were naked? Yes. You've eaten of the tree, the forbidden tree, haven't you, of knowledge of good and evil. And they had. And I want to ask you a question out there. Is there any of you out there, are there any of you out there that really and truthfully, you are glad to know 
evil. Evil is, is only good. The Bible says that evil is only good for a short time, isn't it? This, the, the, the pleasure of sin is only for a very short season. Sin, when it is finished, the Bible says, brings forth death. And so, what kind of death did it bring Adam and Eve? Think with me about this. Did they physically die? Satan said, you won't die. You know that in the day that you eat of this, you will be as a God, knowing good and evil. So people, it started all the way back in Genesis, knowing good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. And so Adam and Eve lost, how did they die? They lost fellowship with God. They were driven out of the presence of God. It's hard for me to imagine how the Father in heaven felt when Adam and Eve ran away from them. I know he knew, he knew beyond the shadow of a doubt what they had done. God knows everything. So then why didn't he just walk right up where they were hiding and catch them and say, Aha, I gotcha. You've eaten of the forbidden fruit, haven't you? Now think about this. this these are things I had to learn in the first year of prayer walking. John 3.16 was burned into my heart like a branding iron. We all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have life everlasting. That's the beauty of my God. That's the love of my God. But what about the second part of that? John 3.17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And so here's the key. This is what God was having to learn me, and teach me, rather not learn me, but teach me, and I had to learn. He had to teach me how to walk with Him once again. Yes, I was raised in a very good Christian family, Yes, I felt like I had received many of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but my life and my plans for my life were very different from that. But God had a plan for my life, and He had to teach me first how to walk and talk with Him. Many, many years ago, there was a book written called In His Steps. And I remember reading it when I was a teenager. And nowadays we have a, a more common little thing that we can wear around our wrist or, or have a ring on or a t-shirt on that says WWJD. What would Jesus do? Now that's, that's a beginning principle of that. I like that expression. What would Jesus do? But now let's turn it around. What do you do? What do you do? How do you handle each situation with your tree of knowledge and good and evil? Yes. How do you handle it? This will determine how far you will walk with the Father. Remember, Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, right? So that's why I say with the Father in heaven, that's how we pray. 
And so our communion with the Father is so important and so necessary because He is the Father of all living, isn't He? And so therefore, the Father in heaven knew that He had to begin to help this this 18-year-old young man, just barely 18, had to help this young man learn how to walk with him afresh and anew. And people, that is a key to your successful Christian living, to bring the church to that Ephesians 5.27 place where it tells the church that Jesus is coming for, a glorious church not having spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. Well, we all know what spots are, but what about wrinkles? Aren't wrinkles covers up, cover up? They're like something's covered up, isn't it? Yes, sir. And so we need to remember, Jesus said it, and it's very clear in the Scriptures, if we hold sin in our heart, He will not hear us. So there again, we're excluded from walking with the Lord. So now the question is, how do we deal with sin? All right, so when I begin prayer walking, here's the first thing I do. I've learned this through the years. The first thing I do in walking alone or with a team, I say to them, now I want you to pray with me and agree with me in this. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is the one that has been sent, according to John 16 and 17, to guide us into all truth. He has been sent to judge the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment, because the prince of this world has been judged already. And so, Father, if the prince of this world is judged already, then what is my responsibility to you? Well, my first responsibility to you is to not let any sin dwell in my mortal being. Because you said if we do that, you will not hear us. And we want to walk and pray today, and we want you to hear us. And we want to hear you. So we ask of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that you would cover us and cleanse us and wash away any sin. Make our hearts pure. For you said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so, Father, today we want to see you. We want to release you to be God through our lives today, and we want to have immediate access to you at all times. We want to have the mind of Jesus Christ, which you said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. We know we'll never be equal with you. Jesus is, but we will not be. But we want that mind within us, that the thoughts that you have, we want to have the same thoughts today as we walk and pray. So we ask of you now that you would cleanse our heart, our mind, our conscious and subconscious and subliminal being, that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness, past, present, 
or any iniquitous yoke that may have attached itself within us genetically, that even our DNA, Lord, will be purged and cleansed through our forefathers from the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Now, Father, by this then we believe now that we are ready and we are prepared to go walking. So we claim the blood of Jesus over every realm and form of communication that comes to us, from us, around us, and concerning us. And, Father, we ask that now we would be totally led by your Spirit. So from this moment on, we will not take one thought personally, whether good or evil. We will instantly take it to you. We will commune with you, we will fellowship with you, and we will labor with you in this. And so, Lamb of God, right now, we just commit our spirit, our soul, and our body to you. We put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, our loins girt about with truth, our feet shod with the gospel or the good news of peace. And we take the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, and we're ready to go to work as your servants, as your priests, and as the king-priest authority that you have imparted and delegated to us. And so now we commit it all to you, and we go forward in your name. So you see, in praying like that, we have committed everything to the Lord. There is no sin left within us that could be offensive to the Lord. And so our spirit, our mind, and our body, our whole being is now opened up to be free to hear from the Lord and fellowship and commune with Him. Now, uh, right up front, I want to emphasize something. Yes, sir. I'm jumping into the elements of prayer walking, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to give you scripture and testimony uh, uh, how it works. How, the, how does this work operationally? I believe in, in experiential Christian living. Amen. I, believe in religion. People say to me, Henry, you're a very religious person. I say, please don't say that. There are many religions, and I think I've, I, many times I think I've met every religion in the world now in the places I've worked with. I've not only worked in, in, 30, in 48 foreign countries, but I've worked in 70 countries of the earth on the foreign ships of the chaplaincy of the ports of Oregon and Washington when I lived there for 17 years. And uh, so I worked with people from 70 countries of the earth that came into those ports and learned from them and the religions and all. I never realized there were so many fragmentations of religions. But uh, I learned the many principles and the many important things of, number one, being sensitive to where you are and the people you're around. Example, one night when I was first beginning to go on the ships, I was on a Bombay registry ship, India, Bombay, and I was talking to an Indian radio operator. And on the ship, I had uh, received permission to go on. We, we would go up to the captain, and uh, we had... Uh, 12 to 16 questions to ask for Senator Hatfield at that time of Oregon. 
that he would take to Washington, and there were questions regarding everything from the the their entering territorial waters, how the Coast Guard handled them, how the river the bar pilot handled them, the river pilot, how customs and how the port officials and all that handled them, and then. Uh, are there any sick? Do any need any medical attention? And all these kind of questions. But this gave us entrance onto the ship to the captains, and this was a tremendous ministry. I, I sadly say that ministry is no longer functional because of our homeland security. Uh, we are no longer allowed on those ports. Our our teams just had to stop going because all all people that were not actual workers on the ports or ship uh, people could not. If you were not of that, you could not go on. And we had such tremendous rapport with the shipping agencies and everything, but Homeland Security came in, and they took over the guard gates and all, and just like your customs officials and your security when you go to fly, and that's the end of it. And we couldn't get on the ships anymore. So... But anyhow, uh, that Bombay Registry ship, I was talking to the radio operator after I had asked the questions to the captain and all, and he had given me liberty to to go on the ship and talk to the men. And when I was talking to a mosquito landed on my arm, and I I never thought a thing about it. I just swatted the mosquito, and uh, the poor radio operator let out a screech and took off running back to his radio room and and shut the door. Oh, (laughs) I never realized, Shannon, what I had done, but you see, I had killed one of his ancestors. <laughs> Lord and have mercy. So you don't... Uh, I began to learn how to work with people before I ever went to any foreign countries other than Mexico and Canada. This was uh, when I was still trying to cover the United States and Canada and parts of Mexico. And uh, so then I learned in the Hindu religion, you know, you don't kill an insect of any kind or you, because they believe in reincarnation. And so I didn't want to be offensive, so I wouldn't stomp on a cockroach, which there always seemed to be plenty on the merchant ships, uh, or a mosquito. And uh, so I just shoo it away or a fly. And so, <laughs> so you learn things like that. You don't walk up to them when they're sitting out on a beautiful sunny day and they've got their kind of their their dish there, and they're dipping their 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 fried bread into it, and they're eating. And uh, you don't walk up to them and let your shadow fall on their food because evil spirits enter into their food. And uh, they they jumped up and ran away from that food. And I went back on that ship several days, and it uh, at one after the other, and they wouldn't even pick up the dishes of the food that the the birds had come and had eaten and scattered around. They wouldn't even pick them up. They didn't want to touch them because to them evil spirits had entered in. So, you see, on those ships I learned a lot of principles. But uh, uh, let's go back now and and let's head back into the beginning of my prayer walking to to what I, I left off with back there when I said sensitivity. Learning to be sensitive is a very, very important area. The The reason we need to be learning to be sensitive is because our spiritual senses are operating through our five physical senses. Have you ever thought about that? 
Have you ever thought about what the Lord meant when He said over here in Hebrews chapter 5? We'll turn over to Hebrews 5. And I've heard this preached from a little boy. I've heard it preached about getting off of the milk and getting onto the meat. You ever heard that? Yes, sir. It's time to grow up, isn't it? It's time to get off the milk, off the bottle, and get onto the meat. But do you know something? The Lord had to teach me a whole different principle concerning that. It, uh, it, it, this is a chapter that talks about our Lord, that he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, in verse 6 of Hebrews 5. It says, who in the days of his flesh... Now, are you in the days of your flesh, listener? I think you are, aren't you? When he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Do you realize in that statement how the Lord took on, how he took on carnal man? He became very God, but he was very man, wasn't he? And how that when he took on that nature, he took on a nature of death. He took on a nature of death. As it says in Hebrews, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I'll tell you what, if you don't have a pen and pencil out there, you need to get it. Because I'm going to give you scriptures for what I'm saying, all right? I really believe that everything that I believe in must be be verified by the Word of God. Amen. So Hebrews, I keep wanting to say Hebrews, I'll go back there in a minute, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So then as we are the righteousness of God in him, according to chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, verse 1, we then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Oh, my, my, my. So you see, we're workers together with him. But to be workers with him then, he was the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek in the days of his flesh, had to cry out with strong supplications, crying and tears unto him that it was able to save him from death. Now, if the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, had to go through this, don't you think we need to go through it? Amen, brother. And it says, He was heard in that He feared. And we know in Proverbs it says, The fear of God is what? The beginning of wisdom, isn't it? The wisdom to see it as God sees it. And then it says, Though He were a son, yet He learned obedience by the things which He suffered. Now, that's the era that I entered into as a very young, very shy 18-year-old on the streets of Phoenix, Arizona. By the way, lest I forget, do you know the very streets, those four or five city blocks, square blocks of the heart of the, the, the Skid Row area of Phoenix, Arizona, do you know what those streets are now? Well, they're called the U.S. West Sports Center, where the Phoenix Suns play. 
and in the other area where the big bad nightclubs were and prostitution houses were is now the Phoenix Convention Center. So you see, there's been a transformation in the heart of Phoenix because there first had to be a transformation in my heart before there can be a transformation geographically anywhere in your city, whatever country you're in, whatever state, whatever city, wherever you are, before there will be a transformation in your city, and I hope before tonight is over, we will have many testimonies to give you regarding the transformations that take place when you truly learn the discipline of walking in the Spirit and learning to buy back or get back through what Jesus purchased to get it back what was lost in the garden. It's very sad to see the life of Adam and Eve after they were driven out of the garden, isn't it? They had two sons. One killed the other. That's the first murder that we find registered in the Bible. Cain killed Abel, Abel, Abel over his sacrifice. Over a sacrifice. They both sacrificed. So you see, in our Christian walk, we all sacrifice. But if we don't learn to genuinely walk in the Spirit, then I'll tell you exactly what will happen. In the church, we will have split after split after split. Even in Christianity, yes. Even in Christianity. One of the saddest things I ever watched way back when Madeline O'Hara was still alive, remember, she's the one that introduced the bill that knocked out prayer and Bible reading out of American schools. Yes, sir, that's right. She was to meet with Billy Graham on a program, and I wanted to watch that. It came on at 2 o'clock in the morning in Portland, Oregon, from Back in New York, of course, that's clear the other side of the United States geographically. So I set the alarm to sit up and watch that at 2 o'clock in the morning. And the MC on that program kind of gave them both, and I thought Billy Graham conducted himself in a princely manner. I really appreciated his, his manner of handling this wild woman. <laughs> she was so quick with retort and with criticism. Oh, my word. Her words would cut like a knife, and he would just stay gentle and just stay calm with her and easygoing. And, uh, but at the end of this, the MC said, I'm going to give... Madeline O'Hara, the last word. Madeline O'Hara, I want you to answer a question for me and for the people out there in our audience. Why do you hate Christians? And I thought, whoa, what a question, because she truly did. You could see the, the hatred in her. She never even hesitated. Do you know what she said? Without even a second thought, she said, because they kill their own wounded. And the MC said, well, folks, that's it for tonight. 
Tune in tomorrow night. Thank you very much. And this, the program went off. Wow, they killed their wounded. They killed their own wounded. And that shook me. That shook me. Now, that was over probably 24, 25 years ago that that program aired. And I think about it every so often. How do we as Christians kill our own wounded? How do we do it? Well, someone falls, and what does a Christian say? If you find yourself saying this, well, I knew it all the time. I knew they really couldn't be that righteous. I knew they, I knew they were doing something wrong. I knew this, I knew that. You see, that is another thing, of, an act of like putting the knife in between the fourth and the fifth rib and twisting it. We have to learn in our conversation to be cautious about what our tongue does. James chapter 3 tells this so clearly, doesn't it? Now remember in James 3, when the Lord told me that night, start walking, I will give you peace and I will give you a song. In that next week, I looked up in the concordance the word peace to study the word peace. And as I read in the word peace, I began to come to a place to realize the word peace, huh? That talks about two wisdoms here in James chapter 3. Two wisdoms, a wisdom from above and a wisdom from below. And as I began to read about these two wisdoms, I thought, wow, look at this. James chapter 3, verse 12. Now, we're going to go back to Hebrews. We're going to get there, believe it or not. <laughs> We've got to get there. But this is all things that I had to learn at 18 years of age. Remember in the beginning of this chapter, he says, the tongue is full of deadly evil. It's set on fire of hell. And he says, like a, the little rudder of a great ship, it can turn that whole ship. So can the tongue turn the whole thing. So our communion with the Lord can either be developed into a position where we are truly communing with the Lord in precious fellowship and communion, or we think we're communing with the Lord because we're quoting the Bible and we're cutting people to pieces. He says in verse 12 of James 3, Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either a vine fig, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? That's a powerful question. Ask yourself that. Where do you measure up out of this wisdom? Are you endued with knowledge? It says, let him, let her show out of a good conversation your works with meekness of wisdom. There's our spiritual conduct. Out of a good conversation, our works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. 
earthly, sensual, and devilish. That means our senses. What is sense? Uh, what is our senses? It's touch, taste, sight, smell, and hearing, isn't it? Earthly, sensual, and devilish. So what we're doing is exercising our five senses to that which becomes devilish and sensuality. For it says, verse 16, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. This was something I had to have burned out of me. I had to come to the place where I realized and recognized fully and completely that my mind was contrary to the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said back there a while ago, Romans chapter 8, verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Wow! Think about this, people. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 7 of Romans 8. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That word enmity means has declared war on God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So James 4.4 and 1 Corinthians 2.14 They verify this, so the same thing. So verse 8 says here of Romans 8, verse 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But I love verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, The body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also life in your mortal bodies. Hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. So that, to me, is so exciting. Now let's go back to James chapter 3. Now, that was the envy, the strife there in James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Wow, there's that fountain trying to yield, but it cannot yield anything but salt water, bad water. Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, and it's gentle, and it's easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Did you notice in that reading, peace is mentioned three times in the wisdom from above. Remember what the Lord told me. He said, start walking 
I'll give you song and I'll give you peace. If at any time you can't remember the song, you lose the song and you lose peace. Stop. Go back (coughs) until you have peace. And that's what I did in that one square block. I kept going around that block and I literally... I ran into a horrible battle. Wow. My mind was telling me, this can't be of God. Every corner of every intersection I came to in that square block, where now is the convention center, (laughs) every (laughs) corner I came to, there would be people. He set it up so beautifully. The first half of that block, there was nobody in that half. The second block... There was no one in that block on my side of the road. There were always people on the other side of the road. I would go to cross at the intersection, and I'd lose my song and peace. I'd come back. It would come back to me. So then I would head to the left, and I'd be parallel with people on the other side of the road. No one would come out of the nightclub on my side. There were always people on the other side. I'd hurry to the next intersection and try to cross to the right to get over to those people, lose the song and the peace. Now remember, I had only handed out like four or five tracks in two weeks so far. So I was already around 195 tracks behind. (laughs) (laughs) That's not good mathematics, you know that? (laughs) It's multiplying against me real bad. That's not the book of Joel where he says, I will multiply back to you the years that the the caterpillar, the palmer worm, the canker worm have devoured. Where's the multiplication process? This is called subtracting, you know. This is called real serious trouble. I'm I'm not getting anywhere. But uh, I walked one complete square block, not able to hand one track out. I came right back to the point after walking those four square blocks where the Lord first challenged me not having handed out one gospel track. I looked to my left in the middle of that intersection. There was a sign of a nightclub. But on the door it said if I wasn't with someone that was 21, I couldn't go in. I was only 18. So I looked behind me across the street. There was 12, 14 people across the street. I had to cross over, and all of a sudden it's like My mind, in those days, you could get a ticket for jaywalking. It was not an intersection. I stepped off that road, uh, sidewalk to cross that road, and I felt so convicted. And it was like the Lord said to me, don't break the law to be a witness for me. I turned around, and now I can't go right, I can't go left. I've been both of those ways, have no peace. I look at this nightclub door, and all I have is peace and a song, standing there, folding my arms with my pockets bulging with tracks, and all I can do is stand there and hum, looking at this door, saying, well, Lord, I have peace and I have song here. I'm not going to do anything until you do it. And that's exactly what God wanted me to do. Remember Jesus? He said, In yourself, you can do nothing. That's right. 
and we this is the most effective way of becoming a successful Christian testimony is realizing in yourself you can do nothing. And so I was coming to that place. By that those four square blocks, I was reduced down to realizing, number one, my mind, that Romans chapter 8, 5 through 9, I was struggling. There was a war going in my mind, and there was a voice spoken in, speaking in my head saying, this can't be God, it's keeping you away from people. But you see, God wanted me to learn that lesson so vividly true. He wanted me to learn that lesson and never forget it. And so, here I am standing, a shy 18-year-old in front of this nightclub door, probably about five, six feet away from it, and all of a sudden that door flies open, and this big brute of a man, <laughs> every time I think of him, I don't know if you remember the cartoons of Popeye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so the guy with the big black beard and towered over Popeye until he ate his spinach. Yes, sir. Well, it was like Bluto came out, only he didn't tower over me. He was big and tough looking like him, but he was a little shorter than me. And he came up right under my nose, breathing in my face, cursing me, calling me all kinds of names, like he I was his worst enemy. And uh, my mind, all it could think was, did I try to give him a track? I don't remember this man. Who is he? Why is he so mad at me? But I have such peace, and I still have this song, and I'm humming away, smiling, looking at him as he's breathing right up into my nose, cursing me. And it was the first time in my life anybody that was a drinker and liquor was breathing right into my nose. Let me tell you, I it was a rude awakening. I thought, boy, he has really got bad breath. <laughs> <laughs> and he he was cursing me. He was chewing on me verbally. And I had such a joy and such a peace. I just looked at him and kept smiling and humming away. And he got madder and madder. And all of a sudden, he stepped back a step and he says, you skinny little punk. Uh-oh. I will show you. And boy, he brought his fist back and he swung it with all his might and he literally brushed right by my ear and missed me. He brought his fist back looking at it like, why didn't you hit him? And then he swung again and he missed again. And then he come up with his other fist and I thought, he's just shadow boxing, you know. He's just fanning both of my ears. But Lord... Help me, if that man lands one, I'm going to get knocked out completely. He was really swinging, cursing me at the top of his voice. And then, all of a sudden, somebody comes out the door and yells back in the nightclub door, Hey, that big bully's picking on a kid. And out comes everybody out of the nightclub. Next thing I know is this guy's cursing me and swinging at me. Horns are honking behind me, and there is a crowd roaring. People are saying, come on, hit him, don't play with him. 
And then they begin yelling at me, and they're saying, Come on, kid, he's so drunk he can't see you. Land one on him. And that's making him really mad. And then I realize I don't dare turn my face because he'll bend my nose over. But looking to the right and left of his ears, I'm realizing this crowd is all around me. And such joy came over me, and I said, Lord, this is great. I can get my tracks handed out. <laughs> I can't go into them, but you're bringing them out of the nightclubs to me. Now just stop him, and I can get my work done. You ever you ever felt this, Shannon, that uh, uh, once once it looks like you're set up to do something in the Lord, now you can say, okay, Lord, I can handle it from here. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's what's kind of like I felt like afterwards, the way I had prayed. And Lord, if you just get him out of my face, I can get my tracks handed out. But do you know something? God had a greater plan than me just getting my tracks handed out. All of a sudden, to the left ear of this bully, I saw a man tight behind the crowd against the wall. And through the crowd, my eyes met his. And when I looked at him and he looked at me, the Lord spoke to me and said, Go tell that man I love him. And that was the first personal word of witness that I can remember of actually going with the go ye, you know, and tell him I love him. And when he said that to me, the Lord said that to me, the big bully dropped his fists, come up under my nose again like his face almost in my face and said, you're not worth it, you skinny little punk. And he turned around and elbowed his way back into the nightclub. And I made my way to that man that the Lord said, go tell him I love him. And as I was making my way through the crowd, people were saying, that was God. That was God. He couldn't hit you, could he? And I says, no, here, have one of these. And everybody took one of my tracks. And I went up to the man against the wall. And I said, while that man was swinging at me, when my eyes met yours, Jesus told me to tell you something. He told me to tell you he loves you. And with that, that man pushed people away, went down on his knees, crying literally a puddle of tears his face toward the cement. And I went down, and I had been trying to memorize, you know, the Romans' road of evangelism and the, the spiritual road, you know, of the, if you will confess your sins, Romans 10, 9, and 10, and <laughs> believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. I start quoting him all these scriptures mechanically, and all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, this man is repenting. And I stop, and I'm listening to this man. And as this man is repenting, he's saying, Oh God, I was so depressed tonight. Last night I lost every penny I had. I got mugged. They got drunk, and I, they took my shoes, they took my shirt, they took my wallet, my two, two weeks' work. And Lord, I looked all over tonight thinking my buddies would be back looking for me because I woke up in an alley and uh, I couldn't find my buddies and I needed to get back over to Los Angeles where I'd come from with them. And uh, 
he said, Oh, God, I was so depressed there in that nightclub. I sit there asking the bartender if he'd seen anyone that fit the description of my buddies, and no, he hadn't. And, Lord, this big bully come up beside me, the man swinging at this kid. He come up sitting beside me at the bar and said, You look like you lost your best friend, man. Where's your shirt? Don't you know better than to come in here without any shoes? Hey, bartender, get this man a beer. Can't you tell he's down? Bought me a beer. And then, Lord, he pops down several fifths of whiskey, several shots of whiskey, and he jumps up and goes out yelling, and we hear him yelling out front. And, Lord, he's yelling at this kid. And, Lord, I sit in there, and I said, Oh, God, I'm going to sit here until you send somebody to tell me you love me. And if you don't tell some, send somebody to tell me you love me by 1030, I'm going out and I'm running in front of that train, that freight train that will be going by that went by last night. And so that was his plan, to go and run and jump in front of the freight train and kill himself. And he says, but God, you sent a kid here to tell me you love me. I don't know how to thank you. It means you're going to forgive me. And he was repenting so well that I decided, well, he's doing the job. i got to get my tracks handed out before the crowd gets run away. And here was a tall Native American Indian man, a Pima Indian man, and he's slapping the tears away in his face. And he's saying, shame for Indian man to cry. And I said to him, I said, no, it's not. I said, you know that was God. You know God saved this man's life. You heard what he was saying. And you know he kept that man from hitting me. Now get down here, and you get down here and repent. And you do what this man's doing. So he got down beside that man that was already repenting, and that man put his arm around him and led him to the Lord. So you see, I didn't really lead my first two souls to the Lord. The Lord did it. <laughs> wow, praise the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord gave me the first two souls, and I, I, it didn't do me any good, you know, to try to do just to be obedient. I wound up taking that man home with me and the Pima Indian man back out to his reservation to get him off the streets that night. But uh, that was later. Brother Henry, talk about a divine appointment. That was my first, in my sense, my first divine appointment. Yes, it was, Shannon. It absolutely was. And it was it was something that I, I call God setting you up. And I think that's a very important principle in our Christian life. Uh, I was introduced here just a couple weeks to go, uh, go speaking when I was before I came home from Japan introduced by a pastor, and this pastor said, do you know why I've asked this man to come and speak? The pastor said, uh, because I have never in my life heard a tape by any any minister saying that when he gets too comfortable, he asks God to set him up with something that is impossible to do without God's help. Wow. And he said, that's the reason this man is here speaking to you people. He says... I know this man isn't the same denomination, he isn't the same uh, full religious uh, doctrine that we are, but I want to tell you something, people in this church, I want you to listen to him, because I want to learn, and my question to him, and this is what I ask him to come and speak on, why would you ask God to set you up when you're getting too comfortable? So that got me into that traditional church. And I want to tell you, by the time I was done, 
people were crying, and people came forward in that traditional church that were willing to chance asking God to set them up. And I assured it, it, it wouldn't be somebody with a gun at their head or something, you know. It'll be something light, but recognize it that God sets you up in something that you is over your head and beyond your faith right now to do and accomplish, to have to lean fully on Him and trust Him completely and totally. And that dear church, I tell you, the Spirit of God came down in that church that night, and there were many, many tears being shed, and I saw the Holy Spirit do a precious thing among those dear traditional people. And that pastor just thanked me again and again and said, when can you come back? But then I began handing tracts out that night there when I was 18 on those streets of Phoenix. Everybody wanted one. I was down to three tracks. Three tracks from 195 at least. Everybody wanted one. I was calling people, come on off the street. I can't come out there. Cars were honking. <laughs> and, and I was calling them off the street when here come a motorcycle policeman. He's got his fly, lights flashing. He gets his nightstick and he starts running them off the street. And guess what direction he ran them? Right to me. I got rid of all my tracks by the time he came up and said, now, where is this guy beating up on a kid? Where was this fight, was what he asked. Where was this fight of these two men fighting? And they pointed at me. <laughs> and, and, I, and he looked at me, and uh, he says, You're not 21. Don't tell me you are. What are you doing on the streets? Just a few minutes, curfew will be for you, unless you're with someone that's 21. There must have been eight or ten guys said, He's with me. <laughs> and that officer looked at them and he looked at and he kind of chuckled and he says no 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 I've seen you on these streets before and I never see you walking with anyone you're not with any of them are you I says well I'm with them right now but no I didn't come with them and he says well he says I'll tell you what he says why don't you take your remi revival meeting down around the corner so we can get the traffic moving, okay? I says, well, I got three tracks handed out to go to get rid of all my tracks, and then I can leave. Would you accept one? He looked at me and smiled. He says, well, he says, I'll tell you, young man. He says, I'm a Christian. He says, give it to somebody that it'll, it'll do something for. Thank you, though. And uh, I got my other three tracks handed out. So I got 100% of two weeks at that point, see? And that was the hand of God. Yes. And I went down around the corner, and I led two more people to the Lord. And uh, then I took the Pima Indian man back out to the reservation, and he asked me to wait. He wanted to bring his mother and his sister out to meet me. And he brought them out, and he was telling them what happened. And they started crying, and both of them gave their hearts to Jesus. I tell you, that was such an exciting night. The man that had lost his shirt and his shoes, I took him home. And uh, Dad and Mom put him in our spare room and uh, took him to church the next morning. Gave him, Dad gave him a pair of his shoes that fit him. Mine didn't. My feet were too big. <laughs> 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 I, 
gave him a pair of his shoes and one of his shirts. And Dad got up in church that morning, that next morning, and told the story. And he said uh, how this dear man had lost his uh, two weeks' pay, and he's from Los Angeles, and how he gave his heart to Jesus. And he said, uh, I want to be the first to put in an offering. I think we need to take a special offering for this man and see if God will restore back his paycheck. And he said, then I'm going to take him down to the bus station. I'm going to put him back on the bus for Los Angeles. We've, uh, we're going to have him call his wife uh, at the bus station. I'm going to pay for that and uh, have her pick him up. And uh, he's going to take Jesus home with him. Well, you know, my mother and father heard from him. At that point, I took off. I was up in Toronto. I, I was in uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, walking and praying, continuing my university after that, and walking and pray up in Texas. But, you know, my parents kept getting uh, letters from them for years. The wife and his children came to the Lord. So... I looked at that, and I saw that, and to me it was such a tremendous, tremendous lesson to learn. And uh, so I look at this. Uh, this began a whole new journey for me. This began a whole new area of understanding of the Lord and and the beauty of the Lord and how that... If I would just walk in the peace of God and let the song stay in my heart, then God could use me. It made yes. me available to the Lord. And that was the first powerful lesson I learned at 18 years of age. And that was the first suicide that I interrupted. People, I can honestly tell you, since then, I have honestly, I have lost count of the number of suicides I have interrupted in my life. I'll give you another testimony of one. I love testimonies. Brother Henry, before you continue on, I want to just make an announcement. To those that are just tuning in, we have a real treat for you tonight. We've got Brother Henry Groover on with us live while you're listening to tonight's broadcast, check out his website, henrygroover.com, G-R-U-V-E-R. Brother Groover, I want to ask you one question right there, and I'll give it back to you. Sure. Uh, do you remember what song it was that you were humming? <laughs> Amazing Grace. Wow. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I still hum it a lot. Praise the Lord. It it It's uh, it, it just such a precious song. Uh, when I was 16 years old, we got our first television set, and I was about ready to go out with a buddy who had gotten his first car, and we were going to go cruise central, okay? <laughs> I don't suppose any of you young people in America ever did that, but uh, sure you did. But uh, we were going to go cruise central, and this world-famous atheist was speaking at the, the Columbia University, the biggest teacher's university in America. And he was just going away at it with the Darwin theory and evolution and atheism and all that in, in this big university auditorium. And all of a sudden, a little young lady student stood up up in the balcony in the middle of his speech 
and started singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And uh, as she stood up singing that, I would love to think that that would happen in universities today, but unfortunately I haven't seen it. But people, students all over in that audience stood up joining her singing that. And that atheist got so frustrated, he walked off that stage and said, I'll never come back here again. And uh, that made that song even more precious to me. Of course, you know, if you're listening in Africa or you're listening as a person with dark skin, you know that the man that wrote that song was once a slave trader. He bought people in Avora, Portugal at the big slave market and brought them to America. He ran a slave trade. And when he got saved, gloriously saved, he stopped marketing people, slaves, selling slaves and transporting them by shiploads. And he wrote that song, Amazing Grace. So think about that. That is truly a tremendously precious song. And so no wonder it would be a song precious to me a couple years later to be humming away when that bully was trying to knock my and punch my lights out, but God wouldn't let him. <laughs> it's so precious. Isn't the Lord wonderful? Yes, sure. He is so good. I, I just... Uh, I just can't uh, can't exalt the Lord enough. I just cannot exalt Him enough. I said to you, let me let me give you another testimony of uh, that is just so precious to me. Uh, in interrupting a suicide one night, I uh, I was in a city speaking, and uh, it was a it was an afternoon in the middle of the week. And I was just waiting on the Lord because I was to preach that night in a church. And uh, the Spirit of the Lord told me, get in your car and go and start driving and follow my peace. And I drove out of that town. I drove through two small towns. After coming out of the second town, this was in the state of Oregon, coming out of the second town, which wasn't real small, but small enough, I went out into farm country. And I began to drive down this road. I'll never forget the name of the road. It was called River Road. And I said, Lord, I don't know what you're telling me to do and why you're telling me to do it, but I I just feel tremendous peace, and I know I'm on a mission, and I know you're going to set me up, and I want to be set up by you, because I know every time you set me up, good things happen. And I went for probably five miles out that farm road. And as I continued to drive, I came to a a driveway into a farmhouse. I could see the barn on the left and all. And the peace of God just came over me to make a left turn into that, that driveway. I went up to the house knocking on the door, knocking and knocking, and no one answered. I thought I had missed the Lord. 
I went to get back in the car. And the Lord said to me, Go to the barn. So I went down to the barn. I opened this big hatch of a barn door. And there was nothing but bales of hay. And I started to walk away. And the Lord said, Go around back. I went around back. And in the back of this barn was a real nice storm-type door. It wasn't a cheap door. Installed in the back of this old rickety barn. And the Lord said, Knock. And keep knocking till a person answers. I began to knock. I hadn't knocked very long when all of a sudden the door come open. And a man whose hair was frazzled and all was standing there and I recognized him. I hadn't seen him for 14 years. And I said to him, when he said, What are you doing here? And I said, Jesus told me to come. I've been driving, led by the Spirit of God. The last time I saw you, you were in California. This is Oregon. Wow. And he said, yes, I moved here several years ago. And I said, Jesus told me to come here and to tell you something for him. And the words just come out of my my mouth. You don't have to take your life. Jesus gave his life so that you can have life. It's it's okay. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. The man grabbed me, just hanging on to me like a broken little boy, sobbing and sobbing, and said, How did you know? How did you know? I didn't tell anyone. My business has failed. My wife and I got in an argument She left this morning, packed her suitcase and said, she's leaving, going back to her mother's state and be with her mother for a while. And he says, come on in, please come into my office. And here was a modern office, I mean, state-of-the-art office in the back of this old barn that you wouldn't even (laughs) have the road. I was astounded. I mean, it had carpet on the floor and everything, but I couldn't see it for the bales of hay. So you, you, you thought the bales of hay went all the way back, but they didn't. I'm surprised he didn't put an old door in front of it, but uh, maybe he did. I didn't notice that. It might have closed over it. I don't know. But uh, he led me in there, and there was a pile of medication and several glasses of water. And he said, I would just sit down after coming down from the house with all of the medication of my wife's and mine, and I was going to drink it all down when you come banging on my door. Oh, my goodness. Praise God. Brother, that close to entering into eternity without Jesus. That man came back to the Lord. Oh, I tell you, he come back to the Lord. He called his wife while I was still there. And uh, she was excited hearing my voice. She, she had met me back in 14 years before in California. And they had fallen away from the Lord. The business became prosperous. And they, you know how that goes. They got prosperous and forgot the Lord. But uh, then, of course, then the business fails and the Lord starts dealing with them. And uh, he had a plan. And uh, he worked it out. But, you know, they reconciled. 
And the last letter I got from them about four or five years ago, they were down in old Mexico running an orphanage now. He'd sold out his business, and they went down there to run the orphanage. So I just praise God, you know, that this is why I begin in the teaching, why I feel it is so important to learn this basic principle of the value of walking in the peace of God. Because the peace of God is so necessary. He says he will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. And when you have that perfect peace, let me tell you something. Beautiful things happen. Beautiful things happen. And that was, to me, such a beautiful thing. Think of the young children, the little children now, that have been ministered to through the years because of my obedience. And, and that, if there's any, it sounds like a boast, it, it's not boasting, it's the Lord. I mean, who of you out there, if you didn't know the mind of the Lord, could ever do what I did? It, it's impossible, you see what I'm saying? It's entirely impossible except for learning the power of the peace of God. The peace of God is so wonderful. He says, I will, you know, he, with our feet shod with the preparation of the good news of peace. What is the preparation? Simply keep walking in peace, isn't it? I prepare yes. heart to obey the Lord and walk in peace. And so that was the first lesson that I learned. Then the second lesson, one night, the Lord spoke to me, and he said to me, and as I said earlier, I was a very shy 18-year-old. But one night as I was walking there on Skid Row, that's the only place I could find people, as I was walking, the Lord spoke to me, and he said these words, Henry, you're afraid to talk to people about me, aren't you? And it was true. Sure, I had said to the young man, you know, that, that you know, Jesus loved him. That didn't take a lot of nerve, but it was very hard. I yet did not have the boldness to walk up to a person and talk to them. I could walk up to them and reach out with them to them a track, but to converse with them, I was afraid. And so I had no boldness. And so the Lord said that to me that night. Henry, you're afraid to talk to people about me, aren't you? And I took a track in my hand, and I'll never forget that night. I held it up, up in the air, and I looked up and I said, Yes, Lord, I am. I'm, a, I'm afraid to talk to people about you. But I'm not ashamed of you, or I wouldn't be out here handing these tracts out. And you know what the Lord said to me? Something so precious. He didn't condemn me. He said, I know. I know you're afraid to talk to people about me. But will you talk to me about people. And I'll never forget what I said. <laughs> I felt so dumb. 
typical 18-year-old. I looked up and I said, you mean pray for people? And then I slapped my forehead and said, da, talking to God (laughs) is praying, Henry, you dummy. (laughs) And then I looked up and I said, yes, Lord, I can do that. And he spoke to me and he said, the moment you lay eyes on a person to hand them a track, start talking to me about whatever comes to your mind. And that was where I first began learning that principle, don't take it personally. Take every thought to the Father. Don't trust, rely, and cling to your own carnal thinking, as I covered there in Romans 8 earlier. Don't trust and rely on that carnal mind, for it says it's enmity with God in verse 6. And it's death. But trust to be spiritually minded and peace. Be spiritually minded in peace. And so, I began a whole new venture. The moment I would see a person and the thought would come to hand them a track, I would say, Lord, what do you want me to pray for that person? Or whatever came to my mind, I would start talking to the Lord about it. And this was where the Lord began introducing me to a whole new realm, a whole new realm that has, again, completely revolutionized my life. Yes. This has been a principle that God has laid on my heart that is so powerful in communion communion and fellowship with the Lord. You see, our precious Lord lost communion with Adam and Eve in the garden. I can't begin to imagine how it hurt him to do that. I know the scriptures is very clear that he already had the plan because Jesus was to be sacrificed from the foundations of the fall. And so even though he killed a sheep, you know, and made skins for them to be covered with so that their nakedness would not would not come. Remember, Jesus was called the Lamb of God. And so from the very beginning, the blood of a lamb had to be shed for their sins before he drove them out of the garden. So I believe he already covered their sins with that blood, so to speak. But a work of redemption had already begun there. And of course, we have to come forward for thousands of years to come forward into the actual birth of our Lord. But something very precious began to take place there. And it's so important to remember the beauty of this. As you sit there in your living room tonight and you're just listening to this, and uh, I just saw a person sitting in your living room and you were just sitting and you were in deep thought. You've been asking the Lord. I just want to speak right into your heart right now. You've been asking the Lord, how do I reestablish or build a fellowship with the Lord? How do I build a communion with God? I see it in the Bible. I see it in the Old Testament. I see it in the New Testament. 
I see those in the New Testament that were willing to give their life they had such a fellowship with the Lord. How do you get that? Well, let me tell you something. The very principle that I'm giving you right now will begin that road to establishing that in your life. Once you begin to learn to do this, it will revolutionize your life. I'll tell you why. Sin distresses you. Sin troubles you. I'm talking to this person in the living room. Sin distresses you and it troubles you wherever you see it. And the Lord had to do the same thing for me that he wants to do for you. Because sin distresses you, it causes you to begin to think, why do they do that? Why don't they do what's right? That will never get that person to change. That will never change a person's life. What the Lord was teaching me in this one about praying for the people. Talk to me about them. I know you're afraid to talk to people about God, but will you talk to God about people? Whatever comes to your mind. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus had died on the cross and he arose from the dead. By chapter 20 of John, there were many reports about Jesus being alive. Mary Magdalene had come and told his disciples that she would seen the Lord in verse 18 of chapter 20 of John and that he had spoken these things to her. But then... They were all gathered together in verse 19. Then the same day that Mary came and said this, in the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the middle of them and said to them, look at his first words, Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. He's called the Prince of Peace. Let me tell you something right now. The Prince of Peace will never tell you to go and to punch a person's lights out. <laughs> the Prince of Peace will never tell you to go and to lie to a person. The Prince of Peace will never tell you to go and defend yourself if you're guilty. The Prince of Peace will never tell you to turn your back on a person that's hurting the Prince of Peace will never tell you to criticize a person that is dead in trespasses and sins. We need to understand this. Whoever is not a Christian is dead in trespasses and sins. Have you ever seen a dead person know what they were doing? Not me yet. No, sir. They don't, do they? And Jesus said they're dead in trespasses and sins. So we need to begin to recognize that and understand it. We need to realize the people that don't have Jesus in their heart, they're doing what they're doing because they're dead in trespasses and sins. They don't know any difference. Remember what Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. What were they doing? 
They were gambling at the foot of the cross for his robe, weren't they? Yes. Mocking him. They were pointing the finger at him and wagging their heads and saying, Look at him. He saved others. He can't even save himself. Others, it says, the soldiers said, Hey, king, where is your army? And they laughed at him. So you see, it doesn't sound like anywhere in the account of Jesus' crucifixion dying on the cross. It doesn't sound like to me there was anyone repenting after the thief on the cross rebuked the other thief and said, This man suffering for doing nothing wrong, we're suffering for our sins. And then that thief said, Lord, forgive me. You know, and Jesus said, This day you'll be with me. This day. They both died that day, didn't they? And so that's the only record we have of anyone repenting. And so Jesus appears right now in the middle of, in the middle of these people that were there for fear of their life, afraid they'd be crucified next. And he says, Peace be unto you. And when he had said this, he showed to them his hands and his side. What did Thomas say? Thomas said, I won't believe until I see the nail prints in his hands and I thrust my hand into his side. Look at that. Jesus answered it right there, didn't he? Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. Wow, there's the second time he says it. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith to them, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Oh, my, 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 my. That is what the Lord began teaching me. He began teaching me not to take any thoughts personally. Don't take any thought personally. If you see sin, ask me to forgive it. Remit it. If you look up an old dictionary of the word remit, the synonym of that word, or the positive side of that word, means to release, relax, absolve, discontinue, leave off, mitigate, alleviate, soften, relent, consign, and deliver Eleven beautiful meanings. Did you hear what I just gave? Wow, that's powerful. Isn't that powerful? People say to me, oh, come on now, Henry. What makes you think you have the power and the right to run around the world forgiving sins? I say, well, the other words that Jesus said here in verse 21 or 20, he said... If you don't remit, verse 23, then whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. So if we don't remit, we retain. And so he began teaching me that principle. And I began walking that and praying that. And as I said earlier, then the next year, I left and I went to Dallas, Texas, and was attending school there and 
every Saturday night. I filled that year. I fulfilled that year handing out my tracks. And I learned so many precious things. Oh, my, 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 my. In my book, I I write a book called The Prayer Walker's Handbook. I don't know if you're interested in that or not. Oh, yes. Please give uh, out that information. Yes, it's a 107-page book. It It gives you the scriptures and testimonies and principles that I'm talking, along with testimonies that will help you out greatly. Uh, it's just simply called Crosswise. A Prayer Walker's Handbook. Crosswise. I like that word, crosswise. <laughs> Brother Groover, where can a person get a copy of that? Purchase it. Uh, you could go on the website or you could write to us at uh, P.O. Post Office Box. Um, oh, my goodness. 144. <laughs> I don't write my own post office box. <laughs> I've been in Japan. Post Office Box 144. Woodbine, W-O-O-D, B as in boy, I-N-E, Woodbine, Iowa, I-O-W-A, 51579, USA. Post Office Box 144, Woodbine, Iowa, W-O-O-D-B-I-N-E, Iowa, I-O-W-A, 515-79, USA, in case if you're in a different state or country. Um, and I, I don't put a price on it. Uh, we we send those things out on a free will offering basis. We just ask that you help us... Uh, especially when you're foreign a country or something, and you help us with the postage and all that, and a little bit, if you can, of the publishing of it and the printing and uh, the uh, processing of having it shipped. And the yeah. website, uh, henrygroover.com, is that correct? Yeah, you can go on the website, henrygroover.com. That's right. Or joyfulsoundministries.com. Brother want, Groover, yes, go ahead. Th- this term "remitting of sins," I have never heard anybody be able to explain what it is. It's like uh, one of the mysteries out there. People read this: remit sins, retain sins. Uh, give us an example. What does it mean to remit or retain? Oh boy! Thank you, thank you. An Folks of. You're tuning in tonight. Uh, this is going to go down in history. is probably the most important broadcast we've done. And Brother Gruber, we've done about 650 shows between the two channels, and I have waited a long time to get some of these answers tonight, folks, and you're going to get them here in just a moment. Take it away, Brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, uh, I'll tell you, people, it has revolutionized my life. It really has. I have, uh, I have been criticized for it. Because people don't understand the remitting. They think that when I remit a person's sins that I'm saying that they're instantly saved. No. No, 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 no. Please do not think that. But look at it this way. I'll give you a testimony to help you understand. Here's by the time I was 20 years old. I had just turned 20. I was walking Fort Worth, Texas. 
in a gang area. I knew I was in their turf, their territory. Yes. They were watching me, and I knew it. By then, I had become, uh, you might say, streetwise. Uh, that's an expression you learn when you get out in street evangelism. You get streetwise. There are do's and there are don'ts. There are times to be on the street, and there are times not to be. Well, in my zeal of walking those three days, Fort Worth, it was a holiday weekend. Uh, I didn't have school, and uh, I didn't have work. And so I was walking Fort Worth, and I was just about finished with Fort Worth, Texas back then in 1962, okay? Fort Worth, Texas was not a very big town. You try to walk it now, in three days you wouldn't make it. But back then, I'm talking the main city area, okay, not the rural area. Texas forever. (laughs) Texas goes on forever out there in the country. But I'm talking the the city area, and I had just about finished. It was after 10 o'clock at night. I knew I should not be on those streets after dark, but I wanted to finish and go over to Arlington, Texas, which is between Dallas. Dallas and Fort Worth between them are Arlington, Texas. And I wanted to start that the next week. So in my zeal, I kept walking later than my mind would tell me is safe. I knew the gang had been watching me, but I kept watching because I just had a few streets left. And so here I am walking and praying, and all of a sudden, the only thing I can figure is this gang leader was in this box alley, standing on the edge of this red brick wall, looking across the street, angular, around the corner, and seeing my reflection coming on the window across the street. That's the only way I know how can figure that he saw me to do what he did, because the instant I stepped by that red brick building there, to go by that box-end alley, He grabbed the back of my head. He put his switchblade knife up to my throat right Uh above Adam's apple and pulled me into that dark alley, pushed me against the wall with the knife at my throat and began telling me how he was going to cut my throat. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I was so afraid. I thought my legs were going to give out on me, and I'd just slide down the wall by passing out and cut my own throat. And he proceeded to tell me all these things that he didn't like my face, and uh, he didn't like me in his territory. Uh, you know you're not supposed to be here. Uh, you didn't get permission from me, and a lot of words that I don't use in between. I'm editing, okay? Uh, <laughs> a lot of bad, bad words, but uh, my mama taught me not to say those words. But uh, he he proceeded in this long dissertation how and how he's going to cut my throat, and he says, I'm going to whittle on you with my knife, man, and then I'm going to throw you in that dumpster over there. Oh, boy. They're going to haul you off to the dump in the morning. And I was so afraid that, in like in Psalms uh, 120, you know, <laughs> Psalms 120, verse 1, it says, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me, you know. And in Psalms 34, 
I think it's verse 5 and 6. He says, uh, he says, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me out of all of my fears. So you see, uh, it's important to call upon the Lord. Yes. And that he would uh, deliver us out of our fears. Amen? Amen. Verse 6, that's 34, verse 6, this poor man cried. (laughs) That fit me. Uh, I was very poor at that instant. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. And the angel, the Lord, encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. How much is all? You know, I like to ask Christians and people that. How much is all? When you're That's everything. All of your fears, you don't have any fear left, do you? So if you have no fear, what's left? Faith. Hmm, the only yes. thing that's left is faith. And so as I cried unto the Lord, I did not verbally cry. I didn't open my mouth. I didn't want my Adam's apple to move and push that knife one little iota. But from the depths of my poor soul, I cried unto the Lord silently, Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I'm afraid I'm going to pass out. And it's like all of these fears came in on me just so fast. All at once they came in on me and just flooded my heart and my mind. And uh, I, uh, (laughs) all of a sudden, the peace of God just came flooding over me. And the Lord said to me, I want you to remit his sins. Now, I was my head against the wall, the knife at my throat. I was looking right down my nose, right into the face of this young gang leader who had told me, he said, I told my gang I'll take care of that skinny little guy. I was a skinny guy at 18. (laughs) I'll take care of that skinny little guy by myself. I don't need you guys. And so that was comforting in a sense to know the gang wasn't standing by. You know, I wasn't surrounded by a bunch of guys. That That's always a, a very terroristic thing, too, you know, to be surrounded by a gang. And I have had my times in life where I've been surrounded by gangs in Eastern Europe, Western Europe, America, and over in, over in, uh, over in the Middle East. But uh, I won't go into that now. But, you know, it can be dangerous, prayer walk. You know, I have oh, to tell yes. you. It can it can be dangerous. But I want to assure you, you know, the Lord had been teaching me this remitting of sins now for almost two years. And uh it 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 I had been systematically doing it. Whenever I saw people sin, I immediately asked the Lord to forgive them. And then the Lord had given to me Romans chapter two, verse four. Romans 2, verse 4, releases the goodness of God that leads to repentance. That is so important. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. So you see, uh, it's important that if you remit a person's sins, it's important that you then release 
the goodness of God. And, and verse 4 of Romans 2 says it this way, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and the forbearance of his long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? In Second Peter 3, verse 9 and 15, also says basically the same thing. It's, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Don't ever go out evangelizing, telling people they're going to go to hell. Don't do that. God does not even do that. He doesn't even judge them until they're dead. He says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. So God is not condemning people to hell until they have breathed their last breath and they've had their last opportunity to repent. Then if they refuse and they hold the truth in unrighteousness and they reject that truth, then they have made their choice. And then they have chosen to go with the powers of darkness and lose the Lord. And so please understand this. So here I am standing there and the Lord brings that back to me so clear. I want you to ask me to forgive him. Remit his sins. Now remember what the definition was I gave you. When I started remitting his sins, he pulled the knife away from my throat, folded the blade, dropping it down in his pocket. It was a switchblade that you can fold the blade on. Yes. As he was dropping it down in his pocket, he stepped back two steps, And he looked at me with the strangest look, and all he said was, What were you doing? What were you doing? I'll never forget that as long as I live. I kind of shrugged my shoulders, greatly relieved, and I said, I was asking Jesus to forgive you. I was asking him to forgive you, that you don't know what you're doing. He pulled that switchblade out again, flipped the blade open and started rubbing his thumb across it, not up and down it where he'd cut himself, but across it like scratching his thumb on the blade. And he put the blade up in front of me like, and he says, you don't think I'd cut your throat? I've cut many people with this knife, and I wouldn't hesitate to cut you. And then I heard out of my mouth words that I would never choose. Remember the Lord says in his word, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Here's the words I said. Have you ever spoken words and you think, that's so dumb, or you want to retract that? Ah, ah, ah. Yes. Say that. (laughs) I I, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. That's how I felt after these words come out of my mouth, because they were not my words. They were the wisdom of God. Remember, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My words are not your words. My ways are not your ways. But when you walk with the Lord, He can speak through you. And here's what I said. Then why didn't you? Oh! I immediately thought, stupid! <laughs> that is not wisdom. That's crazy. I, I wanted to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I mean, uh, I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you. you know, that's what I wanted to say. But before I could say anything, he took another step backwards, looking at me kind of like, you're unreal. 
You know how a dog will look at you when you make a strange sound? Oh, kind yeah. of move his head one way or the other? Kind of like a tilt at one side and like, you're weird. <laughs> he, he looked at me so strange and he softly said, I lost the desire. Wow. Lost the desire. Now remember what remitting means and uh, the definition I'm giving you is out of a 1930 Funk and Wagnalls dictionary, unabridged dictionary. It's the old dictionary that give you gave you a complete English lesson, okay? So the synonym or the positive is to release, relax, absolve, discontinue, leave off, mitigate, alleviate, but get number eight here. Soften. That's exactly what his voice did. Softened. He left off. Soften, relent, consign, and deliver. You released some pressure, didn't you? It. I was released, and he was released. Brother Groover, let me be clear about something. I want to uh, be sure I understand. Okay, so you knew what he was involved in. Oh, yes. So what you said to the Lord was, Lord, did you say, I, I ask you to forgive him? Uh, do you have to, uh, for everything that he's done, do you have to be specific uh, and go down the list of the things he, he did? And then I will also part two of that would be, did you say it verbally, or can you think it? I just thought it. Lord, I, I remit his sins in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That's at John 20, verse 23. Whosoever, see, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Wow. That is so powerful. So you said, uh, I remit his sins, or did you say, Lord, I ask you to remit his sins in Jesus' name? I just said, I remit, because okay. Jesus said, whosoever sins you remit, okay. they are remitted unto them. I'm using the King James translation here. Uh, I like it because it was authorized by a king. Oh, yes, that's my favorite. That's the only <laughs> one I read, actually. Um, let me ask you this question. Let's say... Um, Maybe a a person's uh, ancestors, parents, grandparents were involved in, you know, something horrible. Yes. Um, can you? And then maybe it brought a curse down on the individual. Yes. Uh, can you also remit the sins of a person's ancestry? Absolutely. Here, here's the scripture for it. Romans chapter three, verse twenty-five. Romans 3.25. I'm looking it up here now. I like to read it right out of the Bible. Oh, I love the word. So you get it. And for those just joining in, Henry Groover is on with us tonight. HenryGroover.com. Yes. Amen. Uh, Let's see here. Romans 3, verse 25. Oh, I'm still in two. That second chapter is pretty long. We have people that call in, uh, Brother Henry that uh, maybe their uh, parents were involved in masonry or witchcraft or some kind of sexual perversion. And um, 
I know some of these sins can bring uh, curses down the family lines, give these demons legal rights to operate. Absolutely. So, Absolutely, it can. Um, you know, the, the person's there that is under this, uh, this curse. These demonic spirits are attacking them, and they have this legal right because of this sin in the, the ancestry, is my understanding. So what um, you're going to explain here is that we can actually remit their sins too, right? Go ahead. Yes, indeed. In Romans chapter 3, verse 25, uh, look at verse 24 first. It's what it's context. This is talking about all have sinned in 23 and come short of the glory of God. Yes, sir. And then verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So that's the context of this. Look at the very next verse, 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, verse 26, to declare, comma, I say at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? To declare the remission of sins that are past. How far back is past? The dictionary just says that which has already happened. So well, now, let me let me ask you the question. And in your experience, uh, how far back do sins of the father forefathers go that can actually affect you and I? Well, he says over here in the Old Testament that he re- remitting the sins to the third and the fourth generation. Mm, yes, forever of them that hate me. Okay. And so three and four generations uh, goes back. But now, you know, we see that. And uh, remember, uh, the Moabites and the Ammonites, because they were brought forth through the daughters of Lot by incest. Yes, sir. The Bible clearly says they were banned from the congregation of the righteous for ten generations. That's a long time, isn't it? Like 400 years? (laughs) That's a long time. But now, think about it this way. Four generations, I mean four, yeah, four uh, four years later, Yes. here comes Ruth, the Moabitess. Her husband dies. Naomi's husband dies. And Naomi has no more daughters, sons, to give to Ruth. And so she, Naomi says, I'm going back to Israel. She lived in the land of the Moabites, didn't she, and Ammonites. Yes, sir. They were banned from the congregation of the righteous. They were not allowed to come up and do animal sacrifice or anything. But look at Ruth. Here she goes after this, four generations later. She goes back. I think it's four generations, if you check that. She goes with Naomi and says, no, I'm not going to turn back to the land of the Ammonites or Moabites. I'm going with you. And we hear this all the time in weddings. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you dwell, I will dwell, right? Yes, sir. And so we use that in marriage vows in the Western civilization many times in many parts of Europe. And so who does she become? 
she meets Boaz. Right. And they bring forth Jesse, who brings forth David. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if you go to the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, what do you find? You find Ruth is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so uh, you have it right here in verse 5 of chapter 1 of, of Matthew. It says, And Salmon begot Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king, and King David begot Solomon. <laughs> wow. So you've got grace right there. You've got grace. Now in Jeremiah it says no prostitute or no one like that will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, now wait a minute. What about Rahab the harlot in chapter 1? Rahab the harlot when Jericho came down, didn't it? That's right. She helped the, uh, the spies over there. That's right. But Rahab the harlot is also in the generation of Jesus Christ. Talk about the, the mercy and the grace of God is so beautiful. It's so beautiful how the Lord short-circuits by an act of faith, right? Yes. Ab hid the ten spies and lied to her own people and said, they went off that direction and they took off in pursuit and then she uncovered them from the pile of straw and uh, they said to her, the city's going to fall, so I'm going to tell you, if you will hang a scarlet ribbon, there's the blood, type of the blood in the Old Testament, if you yes. will hang a scarlet ribbon down the wall when we come to take Jericho, if you will keep get all your family members in, we will spare every one that you bring to your house. Do you know in 1989, when I went with Ron Wyatt, the archaeologist, oh, yes. to Jericho, he showed me where the whole wall, it didn't fall over because the whole wall was wide enough to 12 chariots could race abreast around it. It was called the Moon City. It was a round wall around the city, and 12 chariots, according to archaeologists and history they found, raced abreast around the Moon City. So if it would fall over, it'd be as high on its side as it would up. Instead, it went down into the earth, but Rahab's heart, house, is still above the lowest part of the wall. Amazing. And her house was right, the Bible clearly says, was right next to the gate. And so the brackets are on her house there. He showed them to me where their excavation was. And then he said, but now look on the other side here. You walk across where the gate was, and the top of the wall is right here, and the brackets are way down there. So the whole city went down flat, level with the ground, except Rahab the harlot's house. It stayed up high, and the children of Israel went straight across. Can you imagine the spirit 
and the fear that came on the, the warriors of Jericho when all of a sudden elevator down, that wall goes down level with the ground, and they're looking face to face with these children of Israel marching around. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> oh, my, 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 my. So there's just a little rabbit trail off to the side. Brother but, Groover, how does remitting uh, sins differ from repenting of oh, the sins? Okay, thank does you. Some, Question. Does someone still need to repent? Um, or do. go ahead. They do. I asked the Lord that. Now I had been I had been remitting sins from 1961 to 1985, and I by 85 I was in Shrewsbury, England, walking where the old destructed area of Shrewsbury Castle was. Yes. And, uh, this is where I enacted that Romans 3.25 I gave you. The Lord told me, uh, he said, I want you to remit the sins that have taken place here in this castle. The brass plaque there by it, to this day, says that it was hit by one of Hitler's missiles. His missiles came all the way from Germany and hit the Shrewsbury Castle and blew it up. It still is in ruins to this day. It's never been restored, never been rebuilt. And it's interesting that it hadn't, because many other castles had been restored. But the Lord said, I want you to remit the sins here. So I'm looking all over, walking along, looking through the debris, looking for a groundskeeper or a human being somewhere to remit their sins. I can't find anybody in the ruins. And so I said, well, Lord, there's nobody there. And the Lord said to me, I want you to remit the sins that are past. And that's when he gave me Romans 3, 25 and 26. And I always carry a little pocket Bible with me, so he gave me that scripture. You know, it's amazing. Some people are afraid to ask the Lord, book, chapter, verse. Do you know it never offends the Lord to ask him where scripture is? Okay. As you learn his voice, I I have the Lord tell me where it is many times. Many times. You just have to learn his voice. There's such tremendous value in learning God's voice. It's just it's exciting. It's so exciting. Yes. And so so he gave me that Romans three twenty four and twenty five. Well, I remitted the sins that were past, and uh, if I get into the area of cleansing the land and blood guiltiness in the land, then you could understand what I'm going to say now about remitting the sins that are past. But uh, that, that brought a new question to my mind. I felt I knew the Lord well enough by then, and uh, I knew his voice well enough, so I asked him this question. I said, Father, what is your definition of what happens to the sinner when I remit his sins, when he's not repenting? Because by then I knew when remitting means to ask God to forgive them when they're not repenting and ask him to pour his goodness upon them that leads them to repentance. And so the Lord said to me, Here's his definition. I love it. I've never seen it anywhere, read it in a book anywhere. And like you say, there's very little teaching in the world about remitting of sins. I, I That's right. 
I honestly could not tell you one. I've looked up many concordances, many commentaries and all, and they just kind of brush right over it. Even Dakes just brushes right by it. He didn't have it. Uh, David didn't have it. Moses didn't have it. You know, David said, kill him. <laughs> he didn't remit. He, he was a warrior, and, and of course that was under the law. And, and that's something that, that is very important to remember. In, in remembering the actions of Israel and a Jewish, an Orthodox Jewish person, they still live under the law if they have not accepted the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. True? That's right. So it still is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, isn't it? Amen. So we have to understand that in Israel dealing the way they deal. If they choose to go after Iran, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, they have gone after Syria, and that's how they got the Golan Heights in 1967, right? Yes. And Egypt came after them, so they went after Egypt, and that's how they had the Sinai Peninsula and all the way to the Suez Canal until a few years ago when in the treaty through the U.N., they had to give it back. But uh, Israel has always been very, very faithful to honor their treaties, and I think that's something the world needs to understand. And they need to understand the Palestinian situation that, uh, and I hope I don't lose anybody in talking about this, but they need to understand Israel is the only nation in history that has actually given the Palestinians land and a place to live and help them. The Arafat tried to take over Jordan, and King Hussein of Jordan ran him out. He tried to take over Lebanon, and and then he came down in to take over Israel and the, the West Bank area, and Israel has actually given them territory to live in. Yes, they have. They've been uh, very generous. They have. Historically, they have given to them land and have offered them a place to live. If they would live peacefully, Yes. I believe they would have a nation by now. I honestly believe that, if they would live peacefully, but they just keep wanting more and more and more, and of course, I heard Arafat in Paris say very clearly, I watched him on TV when I was over in, in Europe, and uh, he had been at the UN that day, and they had a big dinner for him in Paris, and he was telling about all this, and then all of a sudden his lips began to quiver, and his whole countenance changed, and he said, and we will not rest until we have driven every last Israeli into the Mediterranean Sea. And you know, right? that's... Uh... That's the truth. That's their intent. You have nothing to worry about here, Brother Groover. We love Israel on the Mega Man Radio, Genesis 12.3. <laughs> I tell you. Uh, so anyhow, I don't want to go too far on that, but but that that just is something. But this is grace. This is grace in the Old Testament, even under the law. That's the extent of grace today that we see operating through people that are still in the law in Israel today. But here's what the Lord said to me. I you were walking around. Said, here's Brother here's Gruber. the definition he gave me of remitting. Yes. Okay? He said, when you remit a person's sins that is not repenting, I, the Lord God, lift the heavy load of condemnation 
off of the sinner, giving them a space of time to repent. Okay. Or he said, you see, in Romans 8, verse 1, my word clearly says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And we know the rest of the words in King James there are italicized, which means they did not appear in the original. So it's a statement. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But he said, everyone that is not in Christ Jesus lives under the pressure of condemnation 24 hours a day. But when you remit, and I lift that load of condemnation off of them, then I want you to give to them that Romans 2.4, release my goodness upon them that leads them to repentance. Then he says, then you pray the Matthew 9, verse 38. Matthew 9.38 clearly says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest I'm sorry, uh, it's 37. Oh no, it's 38. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, he's saying in verse 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And so after you remit their sins, you release the goodness of God, Yes. then you pray the Lord to send forth laborers to follow up and lead them to repentance. Now, when you do that, you must be willing for the Lord to say, you go lead them. You see what I'm saying? So it's, 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 Three things that you do. You remit, release the goodness of God, and pray the Lord will send laborers or witnesses to them. And the way I pray is, Lord, surround them with Christians that will love them to you. And so, you see, as you remit, the Lord lifts that heavy load of condemnation off of the sinner. That's exactly what happened when I was 20 years old with the man that had the knife at my throat. As a matter of fact, he came to the Lord that night. Wow. He gave his heart to the Lord. I took him down into a place in Texas that I had learned by then that was a a nice ranch and a rehabilitation ranch. He agreed to get in my car and go. I went and got in my car, and I come up to that alley, and I, I threw the door open. He jumped in. He crawled down, and he said, go, go, go. (laughs) And he didn't want them to see him going with me because he said, they'll get in their cars, and they'll chase us, and they'll kill both of us. And you know that that dear man, he was gloriously saved that night, and he became a powerful soul winner of gangs. Uh, It was just a few years ago that I got a call that he had passed away of a heart attack. Think of the souls that came to the Lord through that former gang leader after that act of remitting his sins. Wow. Oh, Brother Groover, yes. you have been into some places around the world where some horrific things have happened. I remember hearing a little bit of a testimony where uh, God sends you into a place and you heard the screams of um, some of the things that had been happening 
maybe hundreds of years back. I mean, like in Japan, and I'm talking about where you you heard uh, the screams of children up on a a mountain oh, yes. where they had a fortress. Yes, on a fortress. This was this is documented. Uh, this is documented in Osuke, Japan. Uh, they asked me to come. It was my first trip to Japan. Yes. They asked me to come and dedicate the prayer mountain of Japan. It was the first mountain called the prayer mountain of Japan. They uh, people These people had been working with Dr. Cho for 10 years in Seoul, Korea at the prayer mountain. And the Lord told them to come and to establish one in Japan. And so they they started building this one in Japan, and it's a long story how they got a hold of me, but uh, it was a program like this that I was on, telling the testimony of rebuking a tornado. You people in America, across America, where these tornadoes are going, listen, my wife and I have rebuked tornadoes here again and again and again. You as Christians have authority to rebuke these tornadoes. Do not let them take your city out. Stand out there and point at them and rebuke them. Don't fear. Don't fear and stand there with a video camera and say, oh no, it's coming my way. Stand there and do what we've done and point at those tornadoes and command them in the name of Jesus to go up, go around, or whatever, but don't touch one house here in the name of Jesus. I like that. Authority. Amen. We we've done that again and again. This little town of Woodbine, Iowa, where we live, when Spencer, South Dakota, was wiped off the map by five tornadoes, five funnel clouds come down and took everything. There wasn't one building structure left there in Spencer, South Dakota. That same storm, five funnel clouds were coming right at Woodbine, Iowa. It had taken out Spencer, South Dakota. It came whipping across. And my wife and I stood out in the street, and we were pointing at them, and every time they were kind of like slukies or slinkies. You know what slinkies are? Yes. You, you kind of, like a yo-yo, you, you run these springy things up and down. Kids love to play them. Oh, and absolutely. <laughs> and all that. That's what it reminded me of when we were pointing at these funnel clouds. They would come out of these most horrible-looking storm I'd ever seen, and we would see these funnels coming down. We'd point them, they'd go back up in. Here'd come another one down. We'd point at it, it would go back up in. We'd point at another one. And they just kept coming down until they were right at the edge of the top of the hill above Woodbine here. And we reported, we, finally we just brushed our hands across and said, you will not touch one house in this town in the name of Jesus. We rebuke you. For yes. the Bible says the winds and the waves obey the Lord. And Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also. You have to go over. And it jumped over. And that storm turned, and it spread a 30-mile stretch, 70 miles long that year. Wow. In in Minnesota. I don't know if you remember that, but they said it was one of the most devastating storms in history. It tried to take Woodbine, Iowa out. Well, anyhow, I give testimonies like that, and so they got them. And they, the man I talked to today, a Japanese man on the phone, uh, he he heard my testimony and saw it and called me and asked if he could transcribe that and interpret it and put it in the Haza magazine in Japan. Haza in Japanese means revival. 
It's a magazine equivalent to the Charisma magazine in America. Yes, sir. And it's, it's it has the widest spread uh, pub- publication or, or uh, reading, you know. Uh, but anyhow, the people that were helping out in the prayer mountain, uh, they uh, they were they had the, they were building the forms. They had the forms done that day. And the next day they'd call to have cement delivered to the forms for the prayer modules. Yes, sir. Here come this typhoon in. And this typhoon was coming, and it was going to wash all of the forms down the side of the mountain. And so uh, this one man had read in the Haza magazine that morning before he came to volunteer, he had read about me pointing at this tornado and rebuking it in the name of Jesus. And he said to the director of the prayer mountain, well, this man in America pointed at a tornado and rebuked it, and it didn't come down and destroy him. Why can't we do that with the typhoon? Amen. And uh, so the director said, well, I never thought about that, but this is the prayer mountain. Uh Let's do it. Let's point at that typhoon and rebuke it in the name of Jesus and tell it to go away. And they did that. There are people in Japan that have the newspaper article of this that showed it to me. I, I It was in Japanese, but I should have asked for it and got it interpreted. But it's the first time in Japanese weather-keeping, weather-making or, or recording, that a typhoon just instantly disappeared off of the radar. Praise the Lord. <laughs> instantly disappeared. So the director said, well, who is that person that that did that in America? And they said, well, he prays and walks all over the world. He's a prayer walker. And they said, well, we want him to come and dedicate the prayer mountain because we want feet on our prayers. And so they got a hold of the publisher of Haza. And they got a hold of the person at that time in Lake Oswego, Oregon, that had called me and asked to transcribe it and interpret it. Yes, sir. Uh, that they then got a hold of my number, and they invited me to come, my wife and I, to dedicate the prayer mountain. And so we got there to do it, and it was all all built and everything, and very pretty, but they had a problem. They didn't have any water. They had, they had punched three holes and couldn't had hit dry holes, dry wells, and right. no water. So they had to truck water up to it, and that was going to be very expensive. Well, I got there, and the director asked if I'd be willing to walk the grounds of the prayer mountain and pray it. So that's what I was doing. I was walking through the woods and around, and there was a few bit of acres there on the side of that mountain. And as I was walking the land and praying it, I kept hearing young boys screaming out for their life up on the side of the mountain. Oh, my goodness. Uh, It was in Japanese, but I didn't know they were screaming for their life. And I said to the director, is there a boys' school up there or some practicing martial arts or something on the side of the mountain up there? And he said, no, there's nothing up there. They bulldozed a road up there and took some timber out here a couple months ago, but there's no one up there. There's nothing up there. And I said, oh, boy, I have got to go pray that because I believe innocent blood is crying out of the ground. Now, if you'll remember, 
in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, Abel's blood cried to the Lord from out of the ground, didn't it? He That's said, right. The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. And so the life is of all flesh, and I'll, I will cover that. I don't know if we'll get to it tonight or not, but uh, we'll cover that uh, maybe at another time or something in redeeming the land. But uh, the, You basically had heard these uh, cries of children, and uh, this had, was something that had actually happened uh, way back in time. There was actually, a, what, a castle up there with samurai warriors that lived there? That's right. You remember it well. Uh, when I walked up there with them, they said, oh, don't go through the woods. There's, We do have a few of those snakes up here that are bad. And uh, Yes, sir. This is virgin timber up in here, and it's very hard to get through the foliage, and it's subtropical, and uh, you can't see them. They were always afraid for me uh, of the habu, you know, the deadly snake. Uh, people every year die with them. But I don't have any fear of them, and I'll get into that later. But uh, uh, So they said, well, we'll go up and walk the road that was bulldozed. You can get up there that way without going through any, any vegetation. I said, okay, that's easier walking. And, and it was it was toward the end of the day when we got out there, so didn't want to be up in the dark in the woods trying to stumble around. So so we headed up there, and here I got up to this place where I heard the voices crying out and looked up the side of this hill. Well, by the time we got up there, it was a fairly good climb up that steep timber road. Uh, I was thirsty, and I was carrying my, my wallet, these uh, little... Uh, when you go to a hotel, these plastic bag covers over a cup to drink water out of. I don't know if you ever see. Yes, them. sir. Right. Has a lot of them, but uh, I always carry those. Just a couple of them in my wallet uh, to get a drink out of, because I can't carry a glass with me. But I can carry that and dip it in the water or run water into it, and I don't drink out of my hand that way. Okay. And so I pull one of those out of my wallet and stick a stick in the side of this mud bank that's just barely trickling. It'd be like the smallest little stream where you get a faucet to flow as a stream, you know, just the first from drops to a little stream. What would flow through a straw-like or a little less? And uh, coming out of the side of the mountain, and when, the, when it began to clear from me sticking the, stick the mud, I pull the little plastic bag and I put it underneath that and fill it up and hold it up, and it looks clear enough for me. And I said, anybody like a drink? And... Uh, Nobody wanted to drink that water out of the mud bank. And so, well, hey, I've walked all over the world, and I've drank out of streams many times that people say you should be full of parasites. And I say, well, I rebuke those in the name of Jesus. I don't buy that. And uh, why should I accept that? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you have not because you ask not, right? And so we ask in faith, and the Lord protects us. So I've never been sick by parasites, and I've walked all over the world. But... Anyhow, uh, I, I'd take a drink from it, and as I drank of that water, all of a sudden I see a vision up the side of that mountain above that muddy bank. And up there is this fortress on the side of the mountain, and then it's like I'm caught up into the heavens above the fortress looking at the top of the mountain and the ridge that comes across where it's built out on these big rocks jetting out. Yes, sir. 
see these samurai-looking warriors going along on the ridge, a trail on the top of the mountain, and they have their kind of sticks in their hands, and they're just swatting these boys that look to be 11, 12, 13 years old with only loins cloths on. That's all the clothes they had on. And they're kind of just swatting them, keep moving, keep moving, life, to prod them on. And they bring them into this fortress. And then I saw in the fortress what they were doing with them. They were making them serve, and they were also sexually molesting them. So they had uh, kidnapped these children, they had turned them into slaves, and they were even sodomizing them. That's exactly what they Lord have mercy. And then I saw this one boy that was refusing this man, this big guy, and he drew his sword, and he grabbed the boy by the hair of the head, brought him out the door, and threw him... Oh, well, he didn't draw his sword yet. He threw him over the side, holding him with one arm over the side, just a skinny little Japanese boy, and drew his big sword and cut him in half right across his stomach. Dear Jesus. Half of his body fell, and the other then let go of his hair, and he fell. God have mercy. The vision changed, and I saw all of these halves of bodies down from this fortress, and I saw people weeping and coming and bringing these bodies, what was left of them, to to take care of them. And the Lord said, the whole side of this mountain is saturated with their blood. I want you to redeem this land because the prayer mountain I will not be able to hardly hear their prayers for the wickedness and the sin of innocent blood on the side of this mountain okay I want to insert a question there uh, this had happened way back when how how do you deal with that sin in the past you remit the sin yes that was October the 11th 1995 okay how does remitting the sin differ from redeeming, or are they one and the same? Okay. That is the Romans 3.25, remitting to declare at this time, see, in 26, the remission of sins that are past. Okay. Now, I cannot pray for the dead, and I have to emphasize this every time I speak on this in Japan. I cannot pray for the dead because... The dead know nothing at all, right? Right. Dead are dead, and uh, I don't believe in in praying for the dead. But uh, if you if you look at this, uh, well, Genesis four verse ten, Abel's blood cries to me from the ground. All right. Yes, sir. And then if you look if you look at uh, oh my, I can give a, a group of scriptures here. For a a for those that are interested in noting them down, because this is very important to remember. Let's just go all the way back to the last book of the Bible first in Revelation chapter six, verses nine and ten. Those that cry out from under the altar, what are they crying? How long till you avenge our blood? It's the voice of the martyrs, isn't it? Right. Their blood cries from under the altar. Where is the altar? Where is the altar? Is there an altar on the earth? Well, it was the Ark of the Covenant, wasn't it? And the altars that were set up in the first tabernacle, the tabernacle of the wilderness of Moses, and then the tabernacle of David. Yes, sir. 
And so the blood of the martyrs cries out from under the altars of sacrifice. To me, on the side of that mountain was an altar of sacrifice. It was the sacrifice of the blood of these children, right? Yes, sure. And so in Leviticus chapter 18, verses 24 through 28, it tells... Let, let's just turn there real quick, Leviticus chapter 18. As you're turning there, what if we were, am I correct in saying you were actually hearing the blood cry out from the land? Yes, absolutely. The children had been sacrificed by those samurai warriors. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's right. no one there to to remit it. So you stood in the gap and you remitted the sins That's in right. Jesus' name? So the Lord has sent me to do the remission of the sins. Okay. And to cleanse the land of its blood guiltiness uh, above that prayer mountain, because that prayer mountain is not going to have a moment's rest as long as what God is hearing the blood, like in Revelation, crying from under that altar. Did the Lord actually he put a curse on that, uh, or in any location where there's innocent bloodshed? Yes, it definitely puts a curse on it. It gives Satan the opportunity to set up an altar or a place of destruction. Would you call that an actual stronghold of Satan? Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, when you remit that sin, you actually break down that wall like the Jericho wall, and then uh, the servants of the Lord can get in there and evangelize? That's right. And heal that's the land? That's exactly right. Ah, I must start to understand that. How do you... Uh, I'll just insert this in. You can answer it any time. How yeah. do you actually... You mentioned cleansing and redeeming. How does that differ from remitting? That's right, it is. Okay, in Leviticus chapter 18, uh, chapter 18, it tells how the land is defiled. Okay, chapter 18. Now, this, this goes along with where I was a while ago, earlier this evening, not a while ago, in, in Hebrews, chapter 5, remember I talked about the importance of exercising your senses to discern both good and evil. Now that is, is one of the disciplines the Lord led me into in order to be able to do what we're talking about. It talks about Jesus after the order of Melchizedek. Remember that? And I talked about how yes, in sir. his flesh he cried unto him, Jesus did, unto him who was saved him from, able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, if he is the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, why do you, what do you think he would ask us to obey him in? Don't you think he would ask us to obey him in cleansing and bringing about redemption to people? Yes, sir. His creation? In Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 19 through 21, I think it is, Paul is talking about that the whole creation is groaning and travailing, for we know, he says, that the whole creation is groaning and travailing, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. What is the manifestation? I believe the very thing we're talking about. To begin to learn and get our, our senses 
tuned in to hear even innocent blood cry out of the ground. Here in in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, he says, For when the time, verse 12, that you ought to be teachers, you need that one would teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. What are the oracles here? So that he said that as many of them as obey him. See what I mean? Yes, sir. He says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that you're dull of hearing. See, people get dull of hearing. That means your senses are dull, aren't they? For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and you become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, wait a minute. You mean just because I drink milk? No, he isn't talking about that, is he? But look at verse 14. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and and evil. Now remember earlier this evening I gave you James chapter 3 12 through through the end of the chapter and I showed you how that our senses if we listen to the wisdom from below it's earthly, it's sensual and it's devilish. Okay. So our senses play a big part in what can become sensual, don't they? Yes, sir. So therefore, look at the positive side of that. Our senses will also play a big part in what becomes righteousness. Brother Groover, pardon me one moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, disregard that uh, warning. That tells us we've got 60 minutes left on tape. Oh, we've got 60 minutes. Oh, Okay, it's 10 o'clock. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. All right. Would you, excuse me, sir. Would you like to take a break? I, I've been running you like a racehorse. Do you need a break at all? <laughs> I'll run down and get another drink real quick. Okay, why don't we take a uh, five-minute break and you hold the line. Is that good? That sounds fine. Okay. Uh, folks, we're going to allow Brother Groover to stretch his legs, get a drink of water here. He has been going strong for three hours. Folks, <laughs> I am so excited to have him on tonight. Uh, this is Henry Groover, an honor and a pleasure to have him on and teach to us tonight. Uh, while we're taking this break, I would like you to go check out his website, henrygroover.com. And uh, henrygroover.com, you can get uh, a number of his books that he's written. He's got a library of uh, CDs and cassettes you can write into. Uh, please give a generous love offering because it does cost to duplicate these and make these available. And it does help also to give him fuel to go around the world and continue the missions that the Lord is sending him on. And uh, I have heard some awesome testimonies for so long. I said, we've got to get Brother Groover on this program and help us understand how to prayer walk. That's what we're learning tonight, how to actually prayer walk, remit sins. And uh, if you missed any portion of tonight's program... At the conclusion, it's going to be available up on the MP3 archives, and I would encourage everybody out there to send a copy of this program to everyone you know. Uh, we've got a live chat room tonight. Uh, you can tune in right now for this final hour 
at omegamanradio.com. It's in stereo stream. And um, again, it's just a it's just a pleasure and an honor to have uh, Brother Henry on tonight. Folks, this isn't being preached anywhere. By and large, I've never even heard about how to remit sins. We read it in the Word of God, but who has been able to give an explanation? Um, I haven't been able to find anyone until Brother Groover came along and we heard, not only did he know, know about it, but he was actually doing it and going around as God would lead him into areas, places like uh, Japan, for example, where they were sacrificing children up on that uh, mountaintop, the samurais in the castle. One of many places Brother Groover has been sent into by the Lord to get in there and remit the sins so that uh, messengers of the gospel could go in there and um, see those areas restored. So praise the Lord. I hope you're taking notes here tonight. And if you're not, you're going to need to go back and listen to this audio. Praise the Lord. Um, I'm excited. This is the missing piece of the spiritual warfare that, uh, by and large, few are doing, folks. We understand very well about our authority to cast out a demon in Jesus' name. But what do you do in these areas where there's been altars set up, blood sacrifice, prostitution rings, uh, all types of things going on in these areas where the land has been contaminated and innocent blood has been shed? Well, we're learning tonight. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Welcome back, Brother Groover. Thank you, brother. Hallelujah. Oh, I needed that break. <laughs> brother Henry, uh, a question I have is, uh, you, let me take you back just for a moment. You mentioned you were over there, I believe it was in uh, Europe, and this was a place that had been hit with a missile from Hitler's troops. You couldn't find anybody there on the ground. So no. the Lord told you just to remit the sins. Yeah, remit the sins that were past, because the sin, the blood guiltiness in the land of that Shrewsbury Castle. Yes. Uh, the blood guiltiness in the land had opened that land up to this horrible destruction. Uh, the Shrewsbury, when, when I told this to a professor who had been, had retired from uh, Oxford University, he was a, a professor, professor of ancient history. Yes, sir. Uh, he, he asked me the question. He said, uh, oh, you prayed Shrewsbury Castle, did you? I said, yes. He said, uh, okay, now God told you to remit the sin that took place there? And and I said, yes. He said, did he tell you what sin it was? And I Good said, question. It, uh, yes, he did, but I... I don't understand that, but I can tell you what the what the word was. And he said, "Well, yeah, what was the word?" And I said, "Stoic or stoic or stoicism is what come to me." Okay. Here, professor's mouth dropped open. He said, "You don't know what that is?" And I says, "No, it's not something we use in the United States that I know of." He said, "Well, have you ever?" Well, he says, "Okay, in America, you use the term." When the going gets tough, the tough get going. I says, yeah, yeah, we sure. use that. Um, he said, over here in Great Britain, we use the term like that. We, key, we use the word 
keep a stiff upper lip. Oh, boy. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's right, you do, don't you? Keep a stiff upper lip. And he says, do you know where that expression was coined from? And I said, no. He said, Shrewsbury Castle in the 11th century. Oh, wow. I said, oh, my goodness. So then the Holy Spirit did speak accurately to me to remit the sin of stoicism or stoic. He says, yes, you were right on. And he he was all ears. He wanted to hear more then. Well, you remitted the sin. Uh, who then has the job of repenting? Then you, 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 you don't pray for the dead, but you pray for those that are still bound by that sin, that okay. are descendants of them. Oh. That are the production or the brings that those that bring forth what it brought forth what it, how it affected the generations after them. Okay, so your job is to go in there and break down the uh, the walls of the enemy and claim it reclaim it for the Lord Jesus Christ by remitting that sin. Absolutely. So then that the the people uh, that are still alive, not the dead, uh, they can actually their hearts can be softened and. The Lord can touch them and uh, and bring them to repentance. That's right. That's ah, that's making that, sense now. Well, uh, what about the cleansing part? Is there another process that's oh, still got to be done? Yes, there is, and and this is something as well that I, I I cannot give you one reference other than the Bible. Yes, sir. Where I see it taught, uh, it's. When you you talk about it, uh, well, Abel's blood cries to me out of the ground, right? Yes, sir. And Romans uh, in Genesis four ten, and then they cry out from under the altar. Leviticus eighteen twenty four through twenty eight, it tells how the land is defiled, and it says there in verse twenty, and the land itself will spew you out. That's right. The land will spew you out. In Hosea chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it says, blood touches blood. Hmm. In 6, people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Okay. And then in Leviticus 25, 23 and 24, it talks about, uh, it talks about, for all the life of all flesh is in the blood. And then verse uh, of chapter 25 of Leviticus, I like this word here. Um, let's see, let's see here. I'll get it, get it here in a minute. Here, I 23 and 24. Here we go. Uh, okay, verse 23 of chapter 25 of Leviticus: The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. Okay. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption for the land. Huh. Now he says the land is his forever, but yet he says in all the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption for the land. So he turns right around and says that we have a responsibility to do that. Now, how do I grant a redemption for the land? How do I, in New Testament times, how do I do this? How do I go about to do this? Because right there, because of the sins, at that point in time, before you get involved in the mix, 
uh, Satan's got ownership of that. Is that right? That's right. He has taken possession by the wickedness of the land. You find a place where a person has uh, has been molested and killed, okay. and I'll tell you what, if you don't go and cleanse that land, you're going to have a nude adultery bookstore raise up there or something. Yes. It has given Satan license to do it. That gives Satan the license. In Hebrews 9, verse 22, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, he's addressing the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. How does he use the terminology that what we do according to the foreknowledge of God? He uses that by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. You ever notice that? Yes, sir. Peter? So by the right. sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. It's, it's very interesting here in the King James. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, we're set apart by the Spirit unto obedience. You've got to hear His voice, don't you? Yes, sir. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace be multiplied. And then, he says in in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Wherefore, verse 1, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings. Boy, we're right back to not listening to the wisdom from below again, aren't we? And then verse 2, we're right back to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Okay, you need the word. So if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and that, and he that believeth on him shall not be confused. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which he be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto all... Also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past you were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy, Oh, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fresh, all this, see? Yes, sir. So you see, it. he calls us right there a royal priesthood, doesn't he? Yes. He calls us a royal priesthood. Now, uh, so as a priest of the living God, what is it my responsibility to do. Let's look in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 21. May I make a guess? Sprinkle the blood? 
Yes, that's that's a part of it. That's a part of it, the sprinkling of the blood. Now look at something in history that all of us are aware of. How many of you out there remember or have read in history about the bubonic plague? Oh, yeah, that's right. Horrible thing that hit England? The fleas on the rats? That's right, that's right. Okay. And uh, what happened? Well, the plague spread as a horrible virus, didn't it? That's right. Okay, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, if one be found, verse 1, if one be found slain in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it, now remember, he gave us to possess it. What did it say in Leviticus? You shall grant a redemption for the land. Isn't that what he said there? Okay. That I just read in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23 and 24. So lying in the field is this, this slain person, and it isn't known who has slain him. Verse 2, Then thy elders and thy judges shall come forth, and they shall measure unto the cities which are round about him that is slain. And it shall be that the city which is next unto the slain man, even the elders of that city, shall take a heifer, which have not been wrought with, and which have not drawn in the yoke. And the elders of that city shall bring down the heifer unto a rough valley, which is neither eared nor sown, and shall strike off the heifer's neck there in the valley. So here's, as I read to you out of Hebrews, without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. Okay. Verse 5. And the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near. For them the Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto him, and to bless in the name of the Lord, and by their word shall every controversy and every stroke be tried. And all the elders of the city that are next unto the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer that is beheaded in the valley. And they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed. And lay not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. So shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you, when thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. And when you go forth to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God hath delivered them into your hands, and thou hast taken them captive, see, and you see among them the captives a beautiful woman, and have a desire unto her that thou wouldest have her to be thy wife, then thou shalt bring her home to thy house, shave her head, and humiliate her, and all that. Okay? Now, on down here, it says something. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, here we go. Verse 22 of chapter 21 of Deuteronomy. If a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but you shall in any wise bury him that, that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, that the land be not defiled. I was walking London over on the, the opposite side from the Tower of London. In yes, sir. The Thames River there. 
And as I went over the Tower Bridge, that's the one they they commonly call the London Bridge, but really it's not. The London Bridge is on upriver from that. But uh, the Tower Bridge, that's the one with all the pretty decorations on it across from the Tower of London. You'll come to a Y in the road. You can go right or left. Well, I started to the right along the Thames. The, some pronounce it Thames because it's pronounced, it's spelled T-H-A-M-E-S, but over there they pronounce it Thames. Okay, and you go to the right, and you go down about two and a half blocks. On the left is called the Dungeon of London. This is where this truth came home to me so vividly. I, 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 I know this is what this is talking about. In the Dungeon of London, if you go in there, it says, if you have a weak stomach, don't come into this museum. We will not refund your your payment. This is not an exit door. There's only one exit door. You must go out the exit door if you come in. (laughs) (laughs) And the exit door, you stand before a judge and condemn to death, and then you go through this death process and you come out the exit door. But anyhow, down inside the Dungeon of London are all of the horrible, horrible torture devices, okay? Yes. And it tells the era and the history of these. In the era of the bubonic plague, the common practice was when a person was condemned to death, they were put in a big cage like a bird cage, only enough room to kind of crouch down with their knees bent. And they hung it right over a sidewalk where people walk under. That person was 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 uh, condemned to be in that cage till they died. Family could feed them; they could send them water and things as much as they wanted to, but they would die in there eventually from the exposure of the elements and all. When they died, they did not remove their body. The decomposed bodies, they said, was a deterrent. This is how bad the mind of the people were back in that time. Right. The the body would decompose, and the decomposition of that mind, that, that body, fell down on the streets, and these rats became eating that decomposed flesh and became infested with those lice, and the lice eating off of the rats literally began spreading the bubonic plague. Oh boy, jumped on the people and there we go. That's it. And it all came from disobeying this scripture right here. You are not to hang his body all night upon the tree, but you shall in any wise bury him that day. They didn't do it. Okay. That's what brought on the bubonic plague. So you see, the land was defiled by disobedience to the Word of God. And, you know, England, they, uh, back then, I don't know, though, in that time, if they, I don't think they did, uh, make the children read. When I was walking England, they made them read two chapters in the Bible in every classroom where they could read every day. Yes. And that was when Madeleine O'Hare got it out of the out of schools in America. I thought well, that and- Yeah, You have a situation like that. How then do you cleanse it? So now, to to break the power and the curse of that, here's what I had to do in Japan and there as I walked in London. 
I remitted the sins of the innocent blood in the name of Jesus, or guilty blood, irregardless. Uh, innocent blood died because of them disobeying this word of God here. So, the sins of the innocent blood, I remitted those sins as far back as needed be to the very first thought, word, deed, or gesture. Okay. And that's what I did in Japan. And then I claimed it and declared the cleansing of the land by the payment of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, I speak this by the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remit the sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I apply the body of Jesus, for in Hebrews it says, but a body you have prepared me. Yes. See? And so the body was there. In Hebrews 9 and 10 it talks about the body of Jesus. And the blood, the, the body, the mind of Jesus, according to the torture and the torment he went through from the garden, interceding, sweating great drops of blood, to the judgment hall, till his death on the cross of feeling so forsaken of the Father. And the last thing he gave up was his spirit. So I declare the body, the blood, the mind, and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of those attributes for the transgression that has been committed. How long does it take you to pray when you're doing this? Uh, do, you, do you have to vocalize it, or can you do it in your mind? I, I like to vocalize it. Now, there are places where I have vocalized it, and and I, I couldn't do it because uh, of the people there. Okay. Because it says, for I say to declare, to declare at this time. See, there in Romans 3, 25 and 26. Yes. Declare, that word means to speak out, to cry out, to make your voice heard as though crying out in the streets to be heard. That's what that means in the Greek there. Okay. So to literally cry out. And so... There are places in the earth where I couldn't cry out, so what I do is I ask the Lord to send a helicopter over. Oh, yes. I ask to send <laughs> motorcycles by or jet airplanes coming over or something like that to cover up so I can declare. <laughs> there have been times where I could not declare something in a geographical area because obviously I would get in trouble. And so I go out where I can declare it. I pick up a stone and hold it and declare it. And then I toss the stone into the area or drop it in the area where I want it declared. Okay. That's two ways that I do it. <laughs> so that's like your, uh, that's your uh, touch point there. Um, okay, let me ask you a very critical question here. Hmm? Okay, you have to deal with the sin, and that's what you're doing. You're remitting the sins... Okay, um, you're cleansing the area? Yes. Are you ever... Uh, okay, let me, let me just go straight to the point. As you go into these areas, uh, you've got to take this land back from Satan. Does he have his principalities and powers of the air, uh, the demons, uh, present in these areas? Do you have to deal with them too at the same time and bind them or loose angels to attack them? Um, what do you do about the demons and the principalities and the powers that may... Uh, be assigned over these areas that are at work? 
I then declare that land out of their hands, out of their possession. Okay. You longer own this. So I, I declare, according to the word of God, this day the handwriting of ordinances, in Hebrews it talks about, has been erased. Okay? That has been a, the, the Lord says that he will erase the handwriting of ordinances that were written against it. And uh, then I ask, I declare that the land is free, and uh, I, I then declare, let it be made known, anyone entering this area from this time forth, mm, yes, form any oath, covenant, curse, fetish, agreement with the unfruitful works of darkness, will come face to face with the power of the shed blood, the body, the mind, and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, that has cleansed and has redeemed this back, for Psalms 24, verse 1, says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So, Satan, you have been a squatter here, and so therefore I declare the axe has been laid to the root today, and this wickedness and iniquity is going to die, even as Jesus cursed the tree that did not bring forth good fruit. I declare that your deed or your license to operate in this area is now null and void in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remit the sins of those that inhabit and dwell this region in this area, and I ask you, Lord, according to Matthew nine thirty-seven and 38, that you would send laborers into this area to bring forth a glorious harvest here. And uh, Praise, praise the, the Lord. <laughs> Uh, have you went into areas and you encountered resistance from the enemy? Oh, yes. Oh, uh, oh I understand yes, yes, you were yes. in maybe one place called the Serpent Mound, but I never heard the story. Can you tell us what happened? <laughs> <laughs> the Serpent Mounds. Oh, my word, the Serpent Mounds. Um, well, let's, let me think now. The serpent in other mound. words, uh, when you come in there, you know, the uh, I know just like Daniel prayed and uh, the Prince of Persia, you know, blocked the answer, and Michael had to come in war with him. I believe it was. Yeah. Do you actually go into areas from time to time? The enemy uh, tries to stop you and attack you as you're going in there on assignment for the Lord. Yeah, the the Serpent Mound is between uh, Athens, Ohio, and uh, Cincinnati, okay. on that highway that you take towards Cincinnati from Athens, or Athens uh, towards Cincinnati, Cincinnati toward Athens. There is there there's the serpent mounds, and that is one of the big mounds that it, by air you can see it. It winds around through the country like a serpent, and it's a man-made mound made by the mound Indians. And uh, I I had been the Lord had put me on a seven-year journey from up in Owego, New York walking and praying the path of the Mound Indians all the way to Mandan, Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, because the Lord told me that there was a direct connection between the youth of our nation and a curse put on them by the serpent Mound Indians. Okay. And so he wanted that broken. And so I... I had been praying the mounds down by Athens, Ohio, and down by Shreve, Ohio, which there's a lot of demonic activity around Shreve, Ohio, and in that marshy area. And I got into a hornet's nest in there, my son and I, but it's all right. Uh, the Lord 
saved us and protected us from where they tried to kill us. But that's another testimony. Uh, but anyhow, I came, uh, I was by myself. My wife wanted me home by Thanksgiving. And so I took off from by Athens, Ohio that year and headed toward Cincinnati to head back around here to Iowa. And it was 17 degrees out, blowing snow. And uh, I come to this sign that says Serpent Mounds. Yes. And I just said, oh, there's an, there's an obvious mound there, Serpent Mounds. We can't leave that one be for another year till I get back up in this part of the country and go back at it again. So I just pull into the marker area there in the sign and read a little bit about it where they found these giant skeletal remains of uh, 16 feet tall with double wow. teeth and all that. And were that uh, this this and it showed the serpent mound and it showed where the head was on the drawing there in the sign. Well, it's blowing, so I just put a light coat on and I had to climb up on the head of this serpent mound, which was oh, probably 35, 40 feet high, and I climb up on it and I start remitting the sins as far back and taking dominion over it and declaring the blood, the body, the mind, and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ against every oath, covenant, curse, fetish, agreement that has been made as many generations back as needs be to the very first thought, word, deed, or gesture. And I go through that whole thing and declare, let it be made known anyone coming here from this time forth, you know, and declare we'll come face to face with the blood, body, mind, and spirit of the Lord, and we'll have to fall down and repent of this wickedness or turn and flee and never come here again. And I figure my job is done. I head down slipping, sliding off the mound. I get down heading for my van, and something hits me right in the stomach. Whoa. Doubles me up into a fetal position, and I am trying to bend my knees off of my stomach to get up to crawl or anything, and I feel like as I'm trying to bend my knees and pull them away from my stomach, I feel like I am tearing my body in half. And I can't do it. It hurts too bad. But I'm laying there in the snow, and the wind is howling. It was literally howling. And I'm getting cold. I just put a light jacket on. I'm just going to run up there and do it and run back down to the van. Ha ha. I cannot get out of that fetal position. I'm rebuking demons. I'm rebuking principalities. I'm, I'm saying I got my armor on. I've never taken it off from prayer walking today. And according to Ephesians 6, I have the power to to conquer uh, yes. all you know all principalities and powers, the ruler of darkness, the prince of this world, spiritual witness in high places, uh, and I'm I'm claiming that you know I've still got my armor on in the name of Jesus, but nothing is working, and now I'm getting sleepy, and I've gone from my teeth to chattering so bad that I can't even talk too sleepy. I'm wanting to go to sleep and I know if I go to sleep it's it. I freeze to Oh death. my goodness. Frozen there after Thanksgiving. Yes. And I cried out and I said Lord what is going on? Why are you allowing this? I know the spirit here is not greater and stronger than you. You call me an ambassador of Jesus Christ in Thess- uh, in in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you, you told me you give me that authority and all. 
help me. I don't understand what's going on. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I didn't tell you to go in here today. Uh Uh-oh. You didn't ask me. You have been warring for the last few days, and today you were warring, and your spiritual strength was not up to this battle and this giant. I will release you, but don't come back here until you have fasted. I have told you how long to fast and when I tell you to come back here. And then he released me. I didn't just jump up running. I'll tell you, I crawled for a ways getting my body to work because I was almost gone and finally got up enough to get out of the snow and walk. I couldn't run, but I got to the van. I started it up. I turned the heater on full bore. I had my my bed in the back of that van, and I had a beaver, big beaver skin thing from a big full-length coat that someone had given me. Yes. I made a blanket of it, and I crawled under that beaver pelt, and I laid there shaking, shaking, shaking. Lord, while have that mercy. Come on, and that heat was blowing back in the back until I was hot. And then I crawled out from under that and got behind the seat of that steering wheel, and I drove all the way home. I never stopped. I'll tell you, I never stopped. Brother got- Henry? Uh, the question has to be asked, have you been able, as the Lord uh, had you go back there to finish the work? Yes, he did. He did. About Praise the Lord. <laughs> years later. <laughs> he had me on a fast, a full fast, except for water. And then he said, now I want you to go back and take back and take back the land of the Serpent Mound. And I did. Okay, there's two questions I've got to ask you That's um, that come out of this. Um, is... Is fasting necessary, and if so, how much? And then part two of the question is, um, do we have a green light to go anywhere and uh, uh, remit the sins, or do we need to have the Lord uh, uh, give us a direct instruction before we go up against these things? I would say be sure that you have the peace of God, and be sure you ask the Lord if it's the time to take that. Uh, there are cities in America, I'm not at liberty to tell which ones, I will tell it this way, predominantly coastal cities, that's all I'm allowed to tell, but there are cities where I have asked the Lord and have declared the Lord to burn down some of these nightclubs and nude dancing and where there's one after the other and, uh, adult bookstores and all that stuff I've asked him to burn them down and the Lord has said don't ask me to do that I'm not going to do it they will increase uh oh you mean he's got some areas that have already been marked for destruction no turning back that's right that's exactly what he told me these areas are marked for destruction they will increase these places and when the time comes for judgment to purge a nation this nation I will draw them there to for entertainment, for conferences, for demonstrations, and for marches, and all those things. And they will be out demonstrating and everything, and that's when the, the judgment will come, and they will be ashes under your feet. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Um, what about the fasting part? Uh, is that a prerequisite before you go out and do this? And uh, oh, yeah. How long do you fast? Will the Lord tell you? Yes, I asked the Lord to put me on a fast, and then I asked him to tell me when it's finished and uh, to bring hunger back. 
It doesn't mean I don't get hungry and would like food. Uh, he put me on a fast when nine of my children were home here at Christmas time, and they were downstairs baking all these lovely things and all this good smell of candies and 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 cookies and things the kids were making for the holidays. And uh, uh, he put me on a fast because I knew in January I wouldn't have time to fast, and I had some major strongholds to conquer in Japan. So he put me on a fast, and I... I fasted for several days, 11 days, and then the 12th day, in the middle of the 12th day, the Lord said, okay, your fast is over. Okay, uh, here's the next question. How do you deal with backlash and defend yourself from the counterattacks that come after you've come in and uh, you broke down these strongholds? Oh, boy, that's a good question. That is a very good question, brother. Any advice out there how we can survive this? Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> always pray. When you finish alone or with a team, before you separate or anyone walking with you in a team, tell them when you start, if any of you have to depart before we all depart from this battleground, from this area we're walking, let us know. We want to put you in the middle of a circle, and we want to pray a protection of the Lord over you, your family, your loved ones, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ask the Lord to dispatch His angels to be a real reward, to be a, a guard about you so that you can enter your rest from this battleground, take off your armor, and enter into a rest and be refreshed and be restored and enjoy the fellowship of the Lord without worrying about being protected. That's very important, very important. After I learned that the hard way, believe me. My poor children got beat up on so much, and I hadn't learned that yet. But when I learned it, let me tell you something, I was like a bear robbed of its cub. I'll tell you, if the enemy come back at me then, or my family, I come at him, ooh, boy, I come at him with, with I like to call it uh, righteous indignation. <laughs> okay, you mentioned the armor. Uh, should we keep it on 24 hours a day, or do you have to put it on every day anew? I put it on every day before I go into battle, always before I go into battle. Uh, because I, I don't think uh, that we should have to have it on at all times, because like, like Psalms 4, verse 8 says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for so the Lord gives his beloved rest. Well, we need rest. We need R&R. In natural warfare, no one can go to bed and sleep with all that 40-pound pack on their back and all their 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 guns and everything and sleep it with them. You know, I realize they fall asleep sitting in a foxhole. But uh, when you come off the lines of the warfare and come back, there are those that are assigned to be a guard, a shield around about, so you can truly rest. And in the natural, that's the natural so is the spiritual, as 1 Corinthians 15, verse 46 says, you know, first, that which was first was not spiritual, but that which is, is, is natural, and then that which is spiritual. So, uh, it... In other uh, words, uh, this boy, uh, just to tell you how much time we've got, we've got 18 minutes left. Um, let's say... Um, Boy, it went fast, didn't it? <laughs> it, boy, I, I, it always happens on a Mega Man radio. Oh, my goodness. Um, tomorrow morning, uh -huh. uh, Thursday comes, okay? 
can you tell us briefly how would you have put on the armor? What what would you actually do to, to suit up? Oh, I literally say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take unto me the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the the loins girt about with truth, my feet shod with the preparation of the good news of peace, and I take the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, and I declare the power of the shed blood, the body, the mind, and the Spirit of the Lord over my home, my family, my children, near and far away, my my biological family, distant and close, and over my brothers and sisters in Christ. I claim the covering of the Lord over those that we have joined together. They've interceded for me. They've prayed for me. They've walked with me. They've prayed and joined in with me. I just try to cover the whole the whole gamut of those that have given to us financially and have helped finance these journeys. Uh, try to cover all of that, and each one of them in prayer, and ask the Lord to prosper them and bless them and pour back upon them everything they poured out the, to enable us to do the work of the ministry. And uh, yes, oh yes, that is okay. very important every day as you begin. Next question. Um Jesus says, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. And he's placed us high in the heavenlies, high above Satan, high above all these principalities and powers. Uh, do I, as a Christian, have the authority, for example, to bind the strong man over the, the White House or the CFR or you know, the Trilateral Commission or one of these uh, New World Order organizations out there? Can, is there going to be a strong man over each of these? And do we have the authority to bind them in Jesus' name? I believe it. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Behold, I give you power over serpents, scorpions, all all power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. Uh, and then, of course, in uh, Second Tim- in Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 1 through 3, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications and prayers... And intercessions be made for all men. That's in Second Timothy, I think it is, not first, I think it is, yeah. Yes. I think it is, uh, chapter 2. Uh, when you actually say, I, I bind the principalities and powers, the strong man, the rulers over this area, in Jesus Christ's name, uh, what is actually taking place in the Spirit? How long does that binding hold there? Any idea? Uh, that that's a good question. That is a good question. I, I, I bind them from attacking me, my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay. Uh, that's as far as I go. I am very cautious about binding a principality like over a city or something. Uh, the reason I, I am cautious about it, because I believe with all my heart that if you take dominion over a city, the principality over a city or a nation, and you bind that, then you had better have the church, the, the body of Christ, had better be fully armed and ready to go and rescue the captives that were bound by that principality. If you don't get in there and the church is not ready to get in there and break that loose and follow up, then like Jesus said, when an evil spirit has gone out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none, right? Yes, then sir. He, 
back and says he'll come back into that he finds the vessel cleaned and garnished or nice and spotless and clean. He says, I'll go back in, and he brings seven other spirits with him, and the end of that one is worse than the beginning. So I am not one that pushes for binding the principality over a city unless you know that you know a mighty move of God for souls, first of all, and compassion and power and authority is in the heart of the people to follow up and maintain that liberty over that area, standing that another prince doesn't come and take over again. We, we ask the Lord to take and give us a good president. We want to be sure that we, we, after we get a good president, that we continue to pray for protection for that administration because that enemy is going to try to come back and take over and corrupt. And so... Very important uh, point there. We've got 13 minutes remaining. I just I got a couple rapid-fire questions. Have you prayer-walked Israel yet? Yes, I've walked uh, every street of the old city and the new street of Jerusalem. Have you went after any of the groves that Solomon set up in the land and all those uh, oh. uh, kings past? Oh. Molech and Baal and all that stuff? Oh, Lordy. I went into areas where I know that had to have been it. And uh, areas where, where archaeologically they haven't even done it. And I have groaned in my spirit. I have cried out... Uh, Decapolis, where Jesus went in and preached, you know, one of the seven cities of Rome there in Israel. Uh, oh, my word, over the bath there that the Israelis made them. Ron Wyatt took me to that one and made them fill that up with gravel because uh, uh, the the Orthodox Jews wanted to blitz it out. I mean, it literally was a Roman bath there, but all of the mosaics in the floor and around the walls was... Men with animals and human men with oh my men. goodness wow it was horrible it there were some abominations there an absolute abomination um, next question did you uh, act, is it true that uh, Goliath's sword was was found over there in the in the uh, chamber where the Ark of the Covenant is is Goliath's sword yes I heard you speak on that many years ago and I wanted to follow up with you on that uh, what do you think happened to the Ark of the Covenant and Goliath's sword, does the government have it for release later? If they do, they're not saying a word about it, but uh, it's interesting uh, what's going on there. Uh, you know, they tried to take it before Ron died, and yes, sir. six uh, men went in to take it, and all six of them died of a massive stroke. And uh, Ron had to go and help tie them up in body bags, and then they pulled them out. They were too afraid to go in there themselves. They only got into the tunnel that went to the Ark. They didn't get into the chamber of the Ark of the Covenant. But uh, uh, I believe it. I believe Ron's testimony of it. I believe the blood went on the mercy seat from the center cross hole. Yes. Uh, out of Jesus' side, it went down in that crack where in Matthew 27 it says the rocks rent, you know. Uh, I believe that with all my heart. I have stood, I have stood right on the side, got my picture on the side of the center cross hole. Wow, been, that's pretty awesome. And that's all covered up now. And uh, again, that's that's covered up with gravel too. So, Brother Groover, is the Lord looking for men and women today 
to join the ranks of the prayer walkers, or has everything been walked already? Oh, I'll tell you, Jesus said you will not to have gone to all the cities before I returned. <laughs> we need more walkers all the time. There's so much to be done. I've I've worked with 43 of the islands of Japan now, and, and Japan has been tremendous the last 17 years. I have been able to raise up the most teams of any country of the 48 countries I've walked in this last 17 years. I've been able to raise up more teams on all 28 of those islands that I have walked and prayed than any nation of the earth, including America. We've got nine minutes remaining. Uh, I want to ask you a, a final question about Japan and have you pray. But, Brother Groover, if people would like to get involved with your ministry and support what you're doing, how can they financially support you? What's the best way to do that? Well, if if they want to send uh, financial support to us, they can fill it out for Joyful Sound Ministries uh, and send it to Post Office Box 144, Woodbine, Iowa, Five one five seven nine. They can send it by check, or we don't have a way of doing it by credit card. I I haven't got into that. I'm sorry, but uh, consider setting up a PayPal account at some point in time. Yeah, uh, I really need to do that. I think uh, then I they want you to put a price on your materials and all. That's why I haven't. And my materials are all free will offering basis. Uh, they could write us if they are interested in materials and ask for a materials catalog. And uh, if they send us foreign money, we have difficulty sometimes uh, getting it uh, converted over. If they could get a like a, a U.S. Uh, money order, some places you can get that in foreign countries. I'd appreciate it. Make but, it out to Joyful Sound Ministries. Yes, Joyful Sound Ministries. Uh, Address again, please, Brother Gruber? At Post Office Box 144, Woodbine, Iowa. W-O-D-B as in boy, I-N-E, Woodbine, Iowa, I-O-W-A, U-S-A, 51579. And again, they can go on JoyfulSoundMinistries.com or HenryGruber.com. I want to caution you, if you punch in just Henry Gruber... There, my name has appeared many, 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 many times, thousands of times. People are doing things like that. But uh, uh, just henrygroover.com, and uh, hopefully you'll get uh, I'm going to be going out across the country all the way to the state of Maine here real soon. And uh, then I'll be going all the way from Iowa after I come back here over into the Pacific Northwest, Montana, Washington, Oregon, and up into British Columbia and, of course, back into Japan and Korea. So uh, this year... Korea? Wow. Do you think you'll uh, ever get into North Korea? I haven't got into North, but I'm praying the Lord will let me in. And China, too. They need you, too, over there. If I, uh, someone to, would... Go ahead, I'm sure. I've been to China. I've been into the Great Hall of the People. Wow. Two speeches right in the Great Hall of the People and got a standing ovation both times. Praise uh, the Lord. Actually, got to lead one leader of uh, one of the people that were high up in China to the Lord. <laughs> wow! If someone would like to have you come out to their church and speak, what's the best way to contact you? Uh, probably go on the website or send it or call us. I guess you could call for that seven one two six four seven three one zero four seven one two 
647-3104 and leave a message or you'll get it. Uh, our, our secretary will take that down and get the message to me. Brother Gruber, we have six minutes remaining. I want to say I thank you for coming on tonight and uh, spending four hours with us, folks. Brother Gruber thought he was coming on for one hour, and we tricked him. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, we're go- this is going to go worldwide. I'm going to send a copy of this to you, Brother Gruber. It's yours for ministry. Would you be willing to come back on and do some more teaching when your schedule is available? Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Uh, there's an awfully lot more to be taught on, I'll tell you. <laughs> we could only scratch the service tonight, folks. So if you enjoyed tonight, I want everybody to write Brother Gruber. I want you to tell him how much you enjoyed him. I'd like you to support the ministry, get a hold of his books and audios. Brother Groover, before you close in prayer, you just got back from Japan. Are they going to recover from the Fukushima incident? We're seeing an awesome move of God in Japan. Uh, We're seeing the Christians just come alive to the rescue of these people. We're seeing the fear that has been there for centuries of Christians. It is dying away. The media has taken hold of all that the Christians are doing, and uh, it is really causing Buddhist people to come to the Lord. We've seen the number two high priest of the Sokogakai gloriously saved. He's preaching all over the islands of Japan. We've seen the number uh, two Shinto priest gloriously saved down on uh, 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 Miyako Island, and he's with the Lord now, but he preached all over. Uh, We're seeing beautiful breakthroughs, just tremendous breakthroughs in Japan. I'm very encouraged of what God is doing in Japan. Uh, I know that you saw the vision of Russia attacks on America, and you've written a book called The Rebirth of Judah. I know that uh, Israel is God's timepiece. How much time do you think we got here in America, Brother Groover, before the end? Any idea in your spirit? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I think the key is to watch for the handwriting to be on the wall, is to watch. You're going to know if Israel is going to strike out at her enemies because I believe with all my heart that Israel's going to have to destroy the enemy within first before they attack the enemy without, and that's the Palestinians, the Hamas. No and question so about that, it. That will begin the countdown. And, uh, yes, The Rebirth of Judah explains all that, that book. And then the other book that I've got called The Visions of a Walker, uh, it's many, many pages. Uh, that explains the visions I've had. We're going to get Brother Groover on very soon, folks. He's a busy man, but we're going to press him to come back on and do more teaching. We may need you on uh, at least another hundred shows, Brother Groover, to get it done. <laughs> How do you cover 51 years, you know, in one night, even it's in four impossible. hours? We're you just wetting the it. appetite. Uh, amen. I want you to get involved with Brother Groover's ministry, folks. You'll be blessed. Brother Groover, would you uh, close out in prayer and, and pray for the people out there tonight that have been tuning in? Yes, indeed. Father in heaven, oh, precious Father, I just thank you, Lord, for Omega Radio and uh, for my brother. Oh, Lord Jesus. Bless him. Bless him, Lord. Bless all of those with Omega Radio. Bless their ministry and the work that they're doing. Thank you for them, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, Father in heaven, I just pray that you will seal in the heart and the mind and the spirit each one that has been listening tonight. 
or today, wherever it is in the world, Lord, whatever hour it is around the world, I ask you to seal this in their heart and in their spirit, that it will be like seed that is good seed planted in good ground, that it will bring forth an abundance of fruit after its kind. Bless the people. Protect these words, Lord. Protect them if they have noted them, if they have recorded them. Protect the words in their memory, Lord, that it will be quoted properly and scripturally sound. And, Lord, bless them abundantly as they take this truth and learn to walk and pray. Almighty God, for Jesus, you are interceding for every believer right now to the Father. And you ask me one time, Lord, in, over in Swansea, South Wales, who is interceding for the, for the sinner? Because you are interceding for the saints. We are to intercede for the sinners. Raise up a mighty army through these truths, Lord, to intercede for the sinners so that their white raiment, Lord, will be covered with the beauty of the testimonies of their works and of their their liberty in you and in the Holy Spirit, Lamb of God. Oh, we ask you to bless them, a bless a mega radio, a bless my brother, bless this family, bless these families, Almighty God here, that we have come in contact with through this, and protect them now, and keep them until we see them again here there or in the air or wherever on the street of gold we ask this in Jesus precious name now bless brother Shannon Davis Lord and thank you for his kindness to me in Jesus precious name amen 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 we receive it and we love you brother Groover and sister Groover and uh, we're going to have you back on we're going to support your ministry and I would encourage you brother Groover as you're going out and speaking, if you can please tape them, praise the Lord. We'll even get your recorder so you can do it. This, these messages and testimonies are very valuable. Okay, we're going to work on that. We're definitely God bless you. Thank you for coming on tonight, Brother Groover. I'll be in touch soon. Thank you, my brother. Blessings on all of you. Good night now. Folks, that was uh, Brother Henry Groover. What an honor. Wow. Praise the Lord, Jesus Christ. And I uh, thank each and every one of you for coming out tonight. We still got 86 people over there in the live stream over at Omega Man Radio. Did you enjoy? Could in four hours? We just scratched the surface. There's so much to learn here. And uh, I'll tell you, I uh, I'm just I'm honored. I'm blown away. If you enjoy tonight's program, I need your help. I need you out there to please contact uh, Brother Groover's office. Tell him. Uh, that you heard him on this program, OmegaManRadio.com. They have a phone number there at the office. His uh, daughter uh, works the office there, and uh, she'll be more than willing to help you if you'd like to get any of his tapes, CDs, books for uh, a love offering of any type. And um, they need your support out there. Let them know that you heard them and that you would like to have him back. And uh, I'll tell you, we'll make a room for him.